set up to do an interview i think it's been so long though that i'm having a hard time remembering how where all the wires go (laughs) a wire goes in hole yeah indeed Um, it does yeah this is gonna be interesting we're gonna have dave sitting to my right yeah are we allowed to do that well he holds the copyright and he's gonna be sitting here so we should ask him so Okay, <laughs> so uh, maybe I should sit here. Where? Like this, <laughs> so we can. Perfect. Hi, guys. Yeah, then you can make eye contact. Right. It's like my wife always wants to sit right next to me at the dinner table, and I'm like, that's like it's like we're eating on an airplane. Yeah. Then you get to look to the right. Yeah. Hmm. So I always insist on going around the corner, so we each sit on a corner of the table, right? Oh. And yeah. that, like, then we can look at each other. Like this. Yeah. Because we have that big kitchen island thing. Yeah. So it's like, if she sits at one end and I sit at the other, it's all fucking Henry VIII and shit, you yeah, know? That's always the debate when you're out to dinner with a few people. You're like, are we going to sit across from each other? Right. Do we sit next to each other? Right. I don't know. I don't know either. I prefer to sit across. Yeah. That's my personal preference. Yeah, I do too. Especially yeah. when we do the show, there was a few times where we were on the same side. When we were yeah. trying to film things, or, uh, that's, and it's always like I'm awkward. talking, and I got to look to my right. You know, I like to look. And then in our the heads eye. are not in the frame, right? You know, we're gonna get our uh, video. Maybe we'll get some tips from Dave on uh, doing a YouTube show. Which... I had to actually take the. I was gonna do. I was gonna video this, and then I, I realized I had no mini S, extra mini SD card because yeah. I couldn't find it. So I had to use the one from the video camera. It. Nobody wants to hear this, but it's. It, it's been a very stressful week trying to put all this shit back together. Yeah. Because we had, we had like, you know, last month or two or three or four, we had gone down to a small portable video recorder that, I mean, audio recorder yeah. that occasionally works, you know. Lots of things got lost when we tried to save the show, you know. Well, you know what? Streamline is good. You know what? I should probably start the recorder on this thing, too. <laughs> yes. Here we go. This is it's all the, in the middle all ages. the fun shit from way back when is yeah, back. Yeah, or all of the sounds. All right, we are boring the hell out of the audience. All right. Um, are we back? Yeah, we're back. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. I'm Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you today. We really mean R-M-A. it today. M-A. It's the crossover recovery podcast event of the century. Dave from Dopey joins the morning team at RMA to catch up on his pursuit of life, love, and recovery. All this and more. Why not? Today, <laughs> on a very special edition of RMA. And hey. welcome back. Yeah. Welcome back, Kata. So, what? there is some crossover between the Dopey audience and the RMA audience, but a lot of, there are a lot of people that listen to us that have no idea what Dopey is, believe it or not. Really? And they're always mystified when I, we make a, a like, reference to Dopey. So, what is Dopey? Uh... Well, I, I would imagine somebody from the Dopey Nation, which is the group of people that uh, have risen up around Dave in mm-hmm. a sort of cult of personality, yeah. um, uh, out of a place of love, of course. Uh, somebody did a Wikipedia entry 
for Dave. Really? For Dopey, yeah. That's awesome. So I, I, I amended it a little bit, but I'm just going to go through it. Dopey is an American self-help and comedy podcast about personal experiences of substance use disorders and addiction. The show is hosted by Dave M. I don't know if he uses his last name or not, or he has been He's lately. He's pretty blah, 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 blah. anonymous now. Uh, who is a recovering heroin addict. It is based in New York City and was formerly co-hosted by his friend Chris, who tragically passed away in July of 2018. Dave describes the show as being about drugs, addiction, and other dumb shit. Uh, initially conceived as a show about the humor side of addiction, specifically excluding stories about recovery, the focus has changed over time, especially following Chris's relapse and overdose. Dave now hosts the show alone with regular celebrity guests and a revolving cast of characters that include his wife, Linda, his father, Alan, and semi-regulars, Ray Brown and Aaron Carr. I wrote yeah. that last sentence myself. That's very good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's a very unique show. I mean, a lot of us who are part of the Dopey Nation or tied up with the show... It's hard to explain because if you started at episode like one through 40, mm -hmm. and a lot of people do, they go back and they listen through, you almost, you go through like the excitement of Dopey getting bigger, they get Dr. Drew on, and then this horrific tragedy yeah. uh, of his podcast partner, uh, Chris, overdosing and dying. I mean, it's like... It's the horrible script that, you know, you could ever write. It is. I um, mean, uh, it was... Um so it, it was so um, tragic, really, yeah. and and so um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but but it was the subject of uh, an episode of America, this American Life, yeah, uh, back in February 2019. If you find that episode, you get a that was my I had never heard of Dopey yeah. before that. Um, it was an NPR uh, special. I forget what it was called. Uh, the name of the show that they did, This American Life. This American <laughs> Life. It's very famous, <laughs> apparently. Ira Glass. You know, you've heard of him. Yeah, those guys. yeah. So and uh, and so. Basically, it's not just that it happened that Chris passed away tragically, you know, uh, ignominiously with a with an overdose as a recovery podcast. But it's what Dave did afterwards, I think, that really captures the imagination and the hearts of so many people. I mean, he didn't just quit. No. You know, and uh, if I remember back, uh, Chris was an integral part of a lot of the technical aspects of mm -hmm. the show. like. A lot of the stuff you do that I don't do, I mm. think it was the same. Chris was doing a lot of that stuff. Right. So Dave really had to pick up the pieces. And instead of even taking a week off, the very next uh, episode he had, he brought friends of Chris on. His girlfriend. Uh, and then, yeah, he had Annie come on, yeah. his fiance. And so all of us listening to it really feel like we lived through it. And, uh, and so, you know, following the show like that, and people all the time are going back to the beginning listening all the way through and then they'll be like, Oh no, I'm so sorry. You know, yeah. and, it, and it happened so long ago. It's strange. Um, he must be experiencing the tragedy over and over again with every e listener email he gets about it. Yeah. And it's one of those things, you know, we could ask him about it, but you know, in some ways, like he said one time that, you know, it makes him feel like Chris is still alive mm. because people who are listening to the show for the first time, you know, it's, he's living on the, um, you know, sort of like, our show, when people start from the beginning, they right. ask me, how's the store doing? Yes. Or they want, <laughs> it's like a, a parallel universe. Yes, I get weird, weird emails of people wanting to know what I thought about the thing that you said in episode 39, and yeah. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck he said in episode 39. So we get that all the time. But yeah. um, So we're waiting for him to arrive. Yes. It's uh, 8.23, do it at 8.30. Well, we should catch up. We took a dark week. Did we? Um, did we? No, we put an episode out last week. What was last week? Last week was uh, the, the, the two movies. 
I mean, the two books. Right. The guy, the crackhead guy. Right, right. So that was last week. We took um, a dark week before that. Yeah, <laughs> I can't keep anything straight. Um, I had a pretty interesting uh, evening with uh, the parents of Max's friends. So one of uh, one of Max's friends' fathers is this like super successful vegan restaurateur. Oh yeah, and uh, he was on Shark Tank. Uh, I don't even know his last name. His first name is Guy, um, and he's <laughs> opened up this restaurant Beyond Sushi, which is oh I've heard of that. Place. He's developed. Yeah. Um, a a fake raw fish style yeah. thing, which apparently is amazing. I haven't tried it yet, but it was so successful. He's opened up several other restaurants of different cuisines, hmm. but vegan. And so his latest restaurant, this is pre-opening called Elixir, is a vegan Mediterranean restaurant. Oh, and so it hasn't opened yet. So he invited all of us to basically have a free meal. Nice. And then take surveys and give them like... How do you, you know, know this guy? Uh, it's Max's friend's father. Okay. You know, so he's one of these guys that they moved out from the city when COVID hit. You oh, know? so he lives out here. Yep. Yep. He lives around the corner. Right. And so, you know, he's a transplant from Manhattan, I think. Uh, so so the restaurant's in the city? All of them are in the city. Okay. So it's, it's Sunday night at seven was the table. So many of us couldn't do it because it's crazy. It's Sunday night going into Manhattan. But we missed his last restaurant opening at an Italian vegan place. We're like, we got to do this. Yeah, You know, and it's an opportunity to get to know some of these parents and things. And mm-hmm. we're trying to foster relationships. You're, you guys are great at that. It's my we, wife. We hide from that. We <laughs> hide from all of our friends' parents. It's all Christine. I have nothing to do. I just show up. <laughs> and I just try and do my best to not be a curmudgeon, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so we got to carpool with one of our neighbors who's a, uh, one of Max's friend's parents. And so it was cool to get to know them. But they're a fun group, I'd say. They're, they're all like transplants from Queens recently. Mm-hmm. And so they've got that over here type of thing. You know, right, they're right. very like <laughs> fun and loud. And, uh, and it was nice. My parents came over to watch the kids. And was, it, was there vegan wine served? Yeah. I, oh, I made a few jokes. Like they had asparagus. And I'm like, oh, this, is, this tastes just like real asparagus. It's <laughs> like, just like, is this the vegan... <laughs> And uh, yeah, we're just um, so it was a lot of fun, but it made me think, you know what? If I could have a five star vegan cuisine three times a day, guess what? I would be vegan, you know? No, you wouldn't. (laughs) You got to taste (laughs) this. And uh, everybody, of course, had stomach problems afterwards. Uh, (laughs) Really? Yeah, one of the guys, uh, you know, his name is Mo. He owns that pizza truck. Did you ever meet this guy? Mo of the pizza truck. Yeah, no. yeah, he's a he's a from Italy, so he's got this you know beautiful Italian accent. Any case, he's one of the dads. He like disappeared towards dessert mm-hmm. to the bathroom, and uh, we were like waiting for him because his wife's like, "Where is he? We got to go home." And, like, I think he had some vegan cuisine. Oh, I think is what happened. Went right through him. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. it was excellent. I mean, it tasted like chicken, just like everything else. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was impressed. Wow, yeah. we uh, we also went out Sunday night, which is unusual yeah. for me and you. I mean, it's weird to go out yeah. on a Sunday night. We should have been going out together. We should have. We, my wife and I went to see Sarah Silverman, the comedian, mm. at uh, the Paramount. How is, was she? She's kind of dirty, isn't she's she? She's filthy. Uh, funny, very short show. I mean, it was, um, it was the perfect Sunday night comedy because... She had an opener. He went like 20 minutes. Some guy who used to write for The Daily Show. He was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she did about an hour. And we were done by 8.30 yeah. and home by 9. That's amazing. I was amazing. like, this is, thank you, Sarah Silverman. That's amazing. Uh, it was funny. We went out for Thai food beforehand, that little place in Huntington around the corner from the Paramount. Yeah. It was okay. Which is it called? 
What restaurant? I don't know. Eh. There's a million restaurants at Huntington. I want to say Prick King because that's my favorite Thai restaurant name. But uh, Prick King. <laughs> um, but no, I I don't know. There's two in Huntington. There's Thai USA, and then there's this other one, and the other one is good. But uh, you know, I was trying to check out the scene at the Saras. You know, because I don't go to a lot of comedy shows. You go to a lot of comedy shows, right? Uh, more than I'd care to ad- like to admit. It's true. Now I'm thinking back on which ones. But yeah, this is all. My wife is like the social master. I'm glad you got one of those. Uh, yeah, because I would never do it. I don't. Uh, you know, but I, I kind of like sitting on the couch. But regardless, yeah. uh, I was trying. You know, I as I do, I when I go to these things, I always look to see who's drinking and who's drinking what and how much people are drinking and. Uh, there were a couple. Of, there were a couple of folks in their forties and fifties who were uh, hitting it, you know, pretty hard. And there was some heckling going on. Heckling, like yes. they didn't like her. Uh, one guy booed her. Boo you, Democrat! On yeah, on her. She was talking about abortion, and she's obviously very pro <laughs> pro choice. And somebody booed her, and she went off. She teed off on him. That was kind of fun. That's a real comedy killer. Like what, what we're doing abortion jokes. She can somehow make that work. I don't know. Uh-huh. Well, better. And then uh, this other guy that. in the front row was snapping, trying to snap a picture, and there was absolutely no photos. And she calls him out. She's like, "You think you're being sly? You get your phone on your belly there. You're trying to get a what shot." She fucking care. And she's like, "What? I don't know." But then he, but then he made the mistake of being like, "But you're hot," and then she just kind of went off on him for a Jesus. little while. She, you know. That's some of that old fashioned zinging the crowd comedy. Yeah, but I mean, she's good on her feet. It was uh, it was enjoyable. It got me to the point of thinking I might want to go out more on Sunday nights if I can be home by nine. Yeah, you that's know. kind of key. Getting home early, yeah. um, you know. Like we've been going out. Well, I have to go out in the week sometimes because. You know, Noah has this drum lesson at six o'clock. Oh, mm. this is interesting. Uh, so Noah's got this drum teacher. We we go to the music store. It's a little soundproof booth. Um, there's two drum sets and a chair in it. Drum yeah. teacher sits on the far chair. Noah is on the other throne. I sit in the middle and they do a drum lesson. Right. Which sounds like a nightmare, but I love it because we're sort of team coaching him, you know, like He's like, you know, saying things I'm like, Noah, cross your hands over. And we're sort of like. How does the instructor feel about you uh, jumping in there? He like wants. I tried to leave. I'm like, I'll leave you guys too. He's like, no, no, stay, hang out. Like, well, he just likes to talk music and like, uh, you yeah. know. They're also afraid to be left alone with your children. probably. Yeah. And Noah too. He's like, don't leave me alone with him. <laughs> but uh, so we get to the listen yesterday. And he goes, oh, you heard uh, I won't be around for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, Tony, really? I, I didn't. That's why my bill was half as much. I guess nobody told me. Apparently he was hired. This is like his big break. His, oh, the guy's in his, you know, probably in his fifties. He's been an amazing like session drummer teacher for like who, who knows how long. This was his big break. So Roger Daltrey of the Who, right, is I've playing a cruise ship, <laughs> and the drummer, the drum tech for the band, like died or something. Oh shit! And he got the call from like England. He's like, hello. Tony, we need you to be the drum tech for Roger Daltrey, you know? Oh, wow. And so he's going to... So he's not playing drums for Roger Daltrey. He's moved into drum tech land. Okay. Which someone has to die to get those gigs. He's one step away from yeah. being Roger Daltrey's drummer. But Hopefully he can do it by the time he's 75. And I told him, I said, when the drummer dies, you're up, you know? Yeah. And he was like, I know. I think it's a, it's a race, though, between who's going to die first, yeah. Roger Daltrey or his drummer. <laughs> but, like, can you imagine you finally get your break and you're the drum tech for uh, Roger Daltrey's cruise ship band? But he's very excited. God, in your 50s, like, running around humping drum kits and setting uh, that shit up. Ugh. It, it's been his whole life, and he's an amazing drummer. But, like, he, he reminded me of these chess masters who go crazy and just play in Washington Square Park all the time. Right. They're 
they're amazing. Yeah, but they're hustlers. They take money off people. Well, off yeah, tourists. He, and he takes money off people like me. Uh, yes, you know. Indeed. <laughs> um, but I was really excited for him and stuff. So uh, we're having a lot of fun with that. And the acting lessons started back up. And ah, you're a busy man. Max's basketball games and his jujitsu, and it's just like oh, I'm running ragged, man. Yeah, at the end of this week, I have to go and retrieve Dimitri from uh, Scranton and bring him home for the weekend, for Super Bowl weekend. Cause He's coming back for Super Bowl. Yeah, he still doesn't have any friends out there, so he wants to watch the Super Bowl with us, which I find odd. That's but cool. But I'll take it. You know, I mean, I don't know that for a fact because he may come home and he's got a couple other friends from high school, one of who left his college and is sitting in his room doing nothing, and then he's got a friend who just sat in his room and did nothing after graduation. So mm. I'm thinking maybe he'll go and want to watch the Super Bowl with them. Yeah. But then I have to drive him back on Monday. So I have to take a day off from work. So it's like, what a fucking pain in the ass, you know? Yeah. In a way, but I'm glad he's coming home. But on yeah. the other hand, you know. Why not just hang out at school? That's what I paid <laughs> right. for. I know. It's- <laughs> uh, I totally forgot there was a Super Bowl. And it reminds me of the Super Bowl relapse story. <laughs> so if you haven't heard my Super Bowl relapse uh, story, I'm sure it's on one of the episodes. Uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite relapse stories. My, uh, my sponsor in AA had invited me to a Super Bowl party. And for some reason, it was an al- there's alcohol at the party. And I proceeded to get for some, wasted. For some reason. It's a Super Bowl party. This is America. An, everybody was supposed to be AA guys, but it wasn't. And in any oh. case, you got to find that, you know, search Super Bowl. And yeah, so I always, this time of year makes me think of Super Bowl's past. Um, I yeah. used to get crazy at these Super Bowl parties. My wife used to have the old party crew I've talked about. Right. He would have these Super Bowl parties and it was just drugs and drinking and it would turn into two days, you know. Nothing uh, says uh, sport like uh, mounds of cocaine oh, and yeah. gallons of vodka. Of course, I never ended up watching. I would be in the music studio just like talking to somebody about <sighs> recording, you know, for three hours and I'd come out and, you know, my legs are sore from sitting in the same position, you know, type of thing. <laughs> like, who won? Um, yeah, so those are those. <laughs> that's my memories of uh, Super Bowl's past. Well, but uh, I don't even know who's in it this year. Me either. And nor do I really care. Yeah. I just use it as, as an excuse to eat, mostly. Yeah, I used to pay more attention, but um, I couldn't even tell you. But I don't know. I feel like there should be a party of some kind, but there never is. There should be. At least we're not invited to any. Yeah, that's good. So I just heard from Dave. He says he's running a little late. Um, and uh, that's great because it'll give us time to prepare. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're going to get ready. Um, well, you want to play a voicemail from Ryan? Yes, we've got an update from Ryan. He was just in Florida for some reason, so I said, give us an update. He's got one. Yeah, right. Here we go. Ryan. That's not how that works. He's been doing pretty good, I think. He uh, just recently went on Suboxone, mm-hmm. but with a doctor. You know, so many times people just buy it off the street and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Yeah, no, it doesn't <laughs> work. I mean, I've done that before. Uh, let's see. There's no reason this should not be working except Apple products are absolute fucking garbage. That's why. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. It's Ryan Johnston from Chicago. Uh, just calling to check in. Uh, Matt had left like a little message on Facebook. Like, check in? Question mark. I was like, yeah, I'll give those guys a call. Um, I'm just getting back from Florida. I was there for about a week. Uh, it was nice reprieve from the sub-zero temperatures out here in Chicago and you know, it was always weird stepping off the plane after being in like 70 degree plus weather into like negative 10, you know, but it is what it is. It was a nice little uh, break from the winter, but, uh, you know, there's really not too much going on. Uh, recovery 
is going decent. You know, I'm still doing the MAT thing, and, you know, I do have some concerns with that as uh, there's a chance that my Medicaid will be ending in March. So mm-hmm. um, there's some fear around that, man, because, like, I'm going to potentially not have the money to get the medications uh, that I need that have gotten me to this place where I am, um, you know, but that's still a month and a half away because it wouldn't be till late, late March. So, you know, I'm trying not to fear it, um, but just accept it and kind of become realistic about what I'm going to do when that happens. You know? Is he called back? What happened to that? That just stopped for some reason. Yeah. Wait. Um, there but there is, there's certainly some fear around there. Um, I've also been dealing with some kind of some health issues, with my heart. So I'm getting, you know, I'm just doing what I can with that. I'm getting testing. I have, uh, cardiology stuff on February 17th. They're going to put a monitor on me and then I have to get an echocardiogram. Yikes. Um, yeah, chance there's nothing, but there's also a chance of something. Um, but you know, all in all, I'm definitely still grateful for the path I'm on. Things that are so much better than they were. And, uh, I owe a lot of that to the show. You know, I, owe, I owe a lot of that to the, the community, um, the Discord. You know, I'm kind of a lurker in the Discord. I don't really say much, but I do read it. Um, That's like I me. I appreciate all the support <laughs> from the community. Again, it's been a staple of my uh, my progress. And without you all, I'm nothing. I appreciate and love each and every one of you guys. Have a really good day. Much love. Peace. couple questions. Yeah. One. So... I mean, it's great to hear from Ryan, and it's not true. You're not nothing without us. You're complete and whole and beautiful as yeah. you are, man. So don't don't think that you don't draw your strength from us, yeah, because you have it all within you, man. We're two sides of the same coin. That's right. Second thing, uh, so medically assisted treatment, right hmm. for opioids? Like, okay, so his Medicaid's going to run out. He will have been on it for what a few months now. So yeah. h- how do you how do you get off it? Well, I mean, besides like having your Medicaid cut off and no more money to buy it. Well, what what the doctor should do if they're certain that he's not even going to be able to get the generic brand, because what mm. happened to me is uh, whatever insurance I had stopped covering the brand name. And so I just got the generic. So I don't know if that's something where he can move to the uh, buprenorphine generic. Oh. Um, but uh, the way I got off it was you, you know, with a doctor, you plan it. This is what people do typically don't do it's like you plan it to titration okay so it's like yeah, yeah like coming off of uh, alcohol yeah. with benzos or right something. so if you're on four uh four milligrams you know for a month then you go to two then you go to one and then they go to something called subtherapeutic. and i had friends who were ripping the half of the one to make sure that you know it's almost psychological to a point now there is some discomfort doing it that way yeah uh and i remember you know it depends on how long you're on it but you can have like protracted, you know, for months, just diarrhea, stomach issues and things like that. You hear that, Ryan? Um, <laughs> but that's that was it. You know, you feel a little fluey, but, you know, it's it's way better than like just stopping methadone or like coming off of heroin. Yeah. You know, it lasts a little bit, but you're uncomfortable, but you get through it. The key is, you know, not going back to your old soothing techniques. Well, how long were you on it? Uh, about two years. Two years. So yeah. it's not. This isn't something that you take for like you know a few months to manage your cravings in the beginning and then pull it. Well, right? some some doctors do it that way. Yeah, I had doctors try and do that with me. It didn't work. Yeah, they put yeah. me on like I would go to a rehab. A rehab would do this mm-hmm. if I was addicted to uh, opi- opiates. Like let's say 
um, they would put me on like a seven day course of Suboxone, mm-hmm. which was insane because it doesn't give you a chance to stabilize, get a recovery program and then come off of it. Yeah. So I would say that, I don't know, they do it differently and that's the problem. There's no like standard uh, of care, but mm. everybody's different, yada, yada. Um, so I would definitely ask about uh, alternatives to the brand name if that's a possibility. You know. Don't yeah. buy it off the street though. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever no, that's, you do, that's, <laughs> that's never worked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, not a good idea. Um, so I, when I was in the city last week, I sent you a picture that I thought was really weird. Um, mm. outside of one of those, um, dis- those quasi dispensaries for weed, you know, that they are in the city, but it was an ad for Kratom. But the focus of the ad was, uh, exercise recovery. Did you, no, keep, not- there was one right before that. Oh, experience Kratom, yeah. your new pre-workout. It's a pre-workout supplement. They're selling. They're they're trying to push it as a supplement. It seems like I can see how that would work because the amount of kratom that I take, it's in a little shot that I do one each morning, and it's uh, kratom's an interesting like compound or whatever it is. It's like in very little amounts. It's coffee. It's very energizing. Right. Uh, if you take like if if I'm taking 500 milligrams to make me feel like coffee, mm-hmm. like right now I'm up. But if you take, like, I think Ryan was on, like, 12 grams, which is piles of kratom in yeah. tea and stuff, that is supposedly gives you, like, an opiated effect. All right. So so if you take a small amount yeah. of this substance, it'll make you be able to do what that girl's doing with those ropes. Definitely. You can sh- frozen <laughs> ropes. But Take you know, them before the gym, before you go to the gym. Take some kratom. Yeah. I mean, it, it does wake you up and get you moving in, in those low amounts. Yeah. I guess it's like caffeine yeah. in terms of performance enhancement, you know? Well, it's a cousin. From what I read, it's a cousin of the coffee plant. Uh, and so it's a, it's a similar effect. <laughs> it's the coffee plant's uh, black sheep <laughs> yeah. of the coffee plant black family. Sheep, but, uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, we actually had some, uh, there was an interesting article that one of the monksters, I think your friend Luke, posted uh we were talking about how na drinking no non-alcoholic drinks and non-alcoholic culture are starting to really take hold and become uh, yeah <laughs> is this the recovery in the news we're gonna do it early i yeah. guess recovery in the news recovery we're all just fucked up yeah. today all right recovery. Yeah, so thanks for posting this. Um, uh, the article is from NPR. Uh, National Public Radio. National Public Radio. Brought to you by the Helena Rubinstein Foundation. Um, <laughs> this drinks festival doesn't have alcohol. That's why hundreds of people came. Uh, one of the hottest tickets. <laughs> All over the festival. Very exciting night. One of the hottest tickets in Washington, D.C. last weekend was to a festival that was all about drinking and having fun without being fueled by alcohol. The sold-out Mindful Drinking Fest was emphatically zero proof, but it offered plenty of proof that the movement to drink less alcohol is booming. And with an explosion of new choices, it's also delicious. Uh, from a ginger old-fashioned to espresso martinis and spritzes, hop water to pink rosé, the rich complexity of today's alcohol-free drinks was on full display. Um, yeah. Do you get the feeling that like some of the folks that are really into this movement are just tools? Yes. <laughs> or is that just me? Well, it seems like they're trying to apply like a Silicon Valley sensibility to this. Because it's a pseudo health. I mean, it is a health movement. I feel like there's certain people who are doing 
you know, non-alcoholic drinks because they don't want to like get arrested and lose their whole, <laughs> you know, family and job. And there's people who are just like, here's a trend. It's a health trend. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm okay, I'm okay with that. And maybe that's yeah. being a little too harsh because anything that advances non-alcoholic beverages, I think is a good thing. Um, but I've kind of like, I've really drifted far away from the NA beverage scene. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I can't tell you the last time I had an NA beer. And, you know, anytime I'm confronted with a choice now, like if I'm traveling and I ask for an NA beer and they say they don't have one and I have something else, lately, like even though they have them, I pick something else anyway. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to drink a beer. Yeah. You know, like I don't want, uh, it's not for me. I was just know? having this conversation with one of the non uh, recovering addicts, you know, just normies as we would call them mm. at this dinner. <clears throat> not normies. Hate that word. Civilians. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But we were having this exact conversation because the guy that drove us is a normal drinker. He drinks like whatever when we go out, but he didn't have a drink. And one of the other dads was like, oh, you want like a non alcoholic beer or something? And I said, you know, and they know I don't drink. And we got into that discussion, like, what's the point of having a non-alcoholic beer? And I said to him, I don't like the taste of beer. You know, it completely defeats my purpose for drinking. So why would I drink it? And then I got a a mocktail that was tasty. Yeah. I Um, mean, mocktails are interesting. You're basically paying $15 for a glass of juice, but it's in a nice glass and it's got like stuff on it and, um, you know, all of that. But like... I mean, I've, I've been seeing, and I don't know if it's just a function of the way Facebook or whoever's pushing ads to me, but I've been seeing so many ads lately for non-alcoholic beers mm. and non-alcoholic spirits. And You're in the algorithm. Yeah, I'm in the algorithm for it. And I don't know why, because I, I just don't... Well, you know. I think it's big business. And It uh, is big business. One, yeah. one of the things this article touched on is how we, I'm used to feeling like they call alcohol an adult beverage. And... Like to make people like us who want like a shirt. Well, I, I don't do any favors by ordering Shirley Temples, but uh, feeling like you're a child because you're not drinking an yeah, adult beverage. Right. And uh, and at this, uh, the article is talking about this festival. It says non-drinkers get treated like adults again. So this is something that had been bothering me. Um, Brown doesn't want to see a new prohibition era, but he notes that the temperance effort started uh, in an early earlier era of excess. Drawing on his research, he said... That in the 19th century, all of the early bartending manuals included non-alcoholic drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did you feel like you know you're at the kids' table? You know when you're you know. I mean, maybe in maybe in the very beginning. Yeah. But I'm like a, of an age now where I could give a shit less about what anybody thinks about what's yeah, in my glass. I'm there like too, I do man. not. I do not. Care. I'm almost at my mother-in-law, uh, her level of not giving a shit. Yeah. You know, you get to your 70s, you just say what the fuck is on your mind. Where I think NA beer, and this is a contro- probably a controversial thought to have, but my thinking about NA beverages is almost like their harm reduction yeah. in the early stages of sobriety. Like if you go somewhere and you're, you're going to go off the wall and you're going to have a drink, but they have NA beer and you have one or one of those, two of those, and that scratches the itch for you. I think that's great use yeah. for it. Same thing with uh, any kind of a mocktail or any kind of these weird proto alcohol free spirits. Yeah. Like, you know, have, we were- the, have the drink, you know, yeah. don't fucking listen to the AA Nazis who are going to tell you it's, you know, non-alcoholic beers for non-alcoholics. Yeah. Just do do the thing. If it were, if it's harm reduction, great. Um, but you have to know yourself pretty well because the flip side of that is, you know, maybe you have that beer and then you're like, fuck, why am I drinking non-alcoholic beer when I can drink regular fucking beer, you know? Exactly. It gets you used to drinking that, you know, tasting that. Um, call you. Who? Uh... All right, Dave is texting me. Call me. 
We are going to take a short break, and we'll be right back after these words. Hey, we're back. And we're back. So, uh, Dave's just running a little late, a little car trouble. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're worried he may not make it. We're going to... Uh, <laughs> I will pick him up yeah. if his car breaks down. All right. um, so, we were just I talking about... I don't know like, about that mechanic. I'm like, I have Spilkas now because... Spilkas in your Ganectagazoid? In my Ganectagazoid, because I've heard things about that mechanic. I've Which heard, one? There's Hetty and there's the Irish guy. They're both good. See, I go to this guy, Mark, at the Gulf Station... Yeah, that Down was Glenn's road. place. Yeah. Yeah, he sold it, though. I don't know the guy now. Oh, he's good. Well, All yeah. Right. Well, hopefully he doesn't get ripped We off. could call AAA or something. I mean, he, he's, a, he's, he's a big He's boy. a functional adult. <laughs> I can figure that shit out. Of course out. he is. All right. Um, yes. All right, so uh, sober dr- uh, drinking festivals. Yes. Um. Sober drinking Do we like festival. them? Do we want to go to one? I don't think I want to go to one. I don't really want to go to one, but I like that this is a culture, this is cultural, this is coming back. But I think we were talking about how, you know, just like when one drug dealer, when drug, one drug pin dies, somebody comes in to fill the spot. And I sort of identified cannabis as the thing that would sneak in. You know, we were sort of cheering that our kids, you know, wouldn't drink because the culture's, you know, kind of anti-drinking or going in that direction but at mm. the same time it's like a cannabis culture now it's like it's so acceptable it's like and they're basically learning that in school that it's normal it's they're learning mindful. all kinds of weird shit in school about yeah. what's normal these days but you know yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that is what it is i mean <laughs> you know cultures change and they're gonna have to navigate that world you know whether what regardless of what we think about it you right. know um yeah, I don't know. Has Noah talked to you at all about weed or anything? No, but I've sort of been trying to get some, you know, info on what's happening because he's at the high school. You know, they have it from seventh to twelfth grade, where you know normally yeah, Ben's in his class. They wouldn't normally. Are you be, explaining to the people? Yes, yeah, so what you're doing. <laughs> I know you know that, but most people don't realize, you know, that we have seventh through twelve in the high school, so they're yeah. with all of those kids. Uh, it's the same bathrooms, and uh, here's Dave. Hello. Okay, cool. We're on. the temperature light is off. He thinks he'll be okay. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> All right. See you soon. So he is. Coming. You heard it here first. The temperature light is off. The temperature light is off. <laughs> so he's he's gonna make it. Okay, we were talking about weed in the school, or do you he, want to talk about something else? He was saying, well, uh, he was saying that vaping is something that goes on, you know. Everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. He says, the bathroom smells like blue raz. I don't know what that is. I don't either, but I think it's a vape flavor, which, by the way, I quit vaping. Really? This is one reason I'm so edgy. I congratulate you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Uh, not that one. Yes, there, that thank one. Thank you. I've quit vaping. I finally. How long has it been? Three days, oh, because my kids, because they get totally indoctrinated about vaping being this evil demon. Meanwhile, these kids have no idea that I used to smoke cigarettes, and that was the real evil demon. This yeah. is just kind of a, a friendly uh, demon. Are you using any medically assisted treatment like gum or lozenges? I have these mints that I take. That yeah, take the uh, the edge off. 
which the, I'm thinking about work? now. Yeah, it does. Do it, you want a mint right now? I do. You're you, sitting here. You really want a mint, don't I, you? I want a mint. I'm clenching my Where teeth. are the mints? Um, I think in my room. Do, do you hide them? No, I don't. <laughs> no one else wants these mints but me. Uh, I don't know. I'm, all of a sudden, I'm starting to think about maybe taking a mint. <laughs> you want a mint? They're great. No, I don't. I'm not going to take a mint, but uh, yeah, my brain just went right to the, right to the boy. Nat's taking a, some kind of mint. I should take the mint, <laughs> No, too. this is only a mint so I can be respectable to my children right. uh, because they have latched onto this. Uh, I almost feel like they're telling me to stop using drugs and like, dad, you know, you're killing yourself. What are you doing? And I'm like, it's not that bad. <laughs> but finally, uh, and, and they took it upon themselves to take my vapes without asking me and they threw them out and they destroyed them in a ritual ceremony with the outside. Really? They did. And I did not tell them to do that. I was like, what are you guys doing? Did like, you tell them you could just go to buy 7-Eleven and get another one? Yeah, they, they know. Because <laughs> I always they're like, you always buy more. I'm like, this time, guys, no more vaping. No so more vaping. if I'm a little edgy and a little bit uh, uncomfortable. I like you edgy and uncomfortable. Yeah, this is how I, I do my best work. <laughs> right. um, so what are we going to talk to Dave about? He's going to get here. I don't know. I'm going through it in my head. I'm like, I've met him a couple of times. I talk to him all the time. But still, I still get nervous. Yeah. Isn't that silly? Eh, I yeah. don't know. I mean, we don't have to. This, he's like the second live interview. Yeah. Well, we had Joseph now. Yeah. Was that great. was fucking pressure cooker I, because the guy flew out from California. Yeah. Just to do the show. Well, I mean, and to go to the ballet and shit, but you know. Yeah. I'd love to have him back. I just like him as a person. Yeah, he's a like, nice, he was super cool to nice hang guy. Out with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and his wife. They're great, Teresa. Yeah. Oh, and we wanted to talk about, there's been a couple of important soberversaries yes. on uh, page. This show is brought to you by Patreon, by the way. Uh, what's Patreon? It's a members-only subscription service featuring Discord private messaging. We do some video episodes. Um, so we have a Discord chat group where uh, we basically recover together. We talk every day, uh, and it's at patreon.com slash middle, no, patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages and uh, join up. And so on the Discord, we celebrate um, everybody's anniversaries. And so we have a couple important ones. Soberversaries. You've done it. Congratulations. Congratulations to Liz on achieving two years of continuous sobriety. Queen Elizabeth of Munsterhaven. Haven? Haven. Haven. Congratulations, Liz. Yeah, that's awesome. You've been an uh, uh, integral part of the RMA community. The and heart and soul. We appreciate everything. Yeah, thank you, Liz. Yes. And congratulations. Uh, Who else? Let's see. Grant recently celebrated 900 days. That's right. Congratulations, Grant. 900 days. 900 That's great. days. And Nat yes. recently celebrated five, five years of continuous sobriety. Years. <laughs> That's right. You get your marbles back, they tell me. But nobody gave me a, a bag of marbles. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to get. Uh, Charlie, back in uh, middle January, celebrated 34 months booze-free. Nice, Charlie. And, uh, yeah. The wharf rat. The monster. And I think uh, I could right. keep scrolling back. And if anybody I missed, uh, we'll get to you. Sorry yeah. about that. Join us. You, if you have a Soberversary, join us on the Patreon. Tell us and we'll announce it. Or on Facebook, we have a private message group uh, where we talk all things recovery and, uh, and stay in touch. Also, it looks like that the Monsters are meeting up again. Are they like in Florida meeting up again? Or am I just reading old chats? You're reading old chats. They met up uh, like... 
January 28th, I think it was. I thought I saw that they were meeting again, up again. Meeting up? Yeah, like they're in Florida wow. or something. Yeah. So the monsters are meeting. So you guys should just buy a, a little condo down there. Yeah. And Nat and I will fly down and... I can't wait to one day there. have like, I used to dream when we first started the show, I dreamed about making this into like a retreats and, know. you know, like, like a recovery elevator. Um, you know, a lot of the guys, uh, a lot of our audiences cross over from recovery elevator, uh, Annie Grace and mm-hmm. then Dopey, you know, but recovery elevator, he's got his shit together with all of these, you know, sober retreats that go to Costa Rica. So I think he's got a place in Costa Rica. Now, I think so. It? Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. So stick with us. Maybe we'll get there. Okay. Um, all right. You so know what? Let's, let's hold on. Let's take another break. Yeah. Because I think Dave will probably be pulling up soon. Yes. Yeah, and so then we'll gonna... start talking to him 40 minutes into the show. Sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. We'll be right back after those words. <laughs> We're all just trying to. I'm we're all so just trying to fit this shit in <laughs> to our or, normal, ordinary lives, and it's like I know people think all we do is podcast, <laughs> and this is our entire lives, right? It's Meanwhile, good. we're all stressing out about work. <laughs> well, and and my car is going to explode on my drive home. It's just, it's just, it's not good. Yeah, what happened? You were on your way here, and well, are we recording? Uh, oh yeah. Well, also, fucking, do you know who Action Bronson is? Yeah. Last night, Action Bronson texts me, let's have lunch today. Really? And I said, no, I can't because I have to record recovery in the Middle Ages. <laughs> How about Thursday or Friday? And he doesn't write me back. Uh, then I'm driving here. Right. The fucking temperature light goes off. And then I smell the smell of burn, burning <laughs> smell. That's not good. It's very frightening. And then yeah. I open the windows and the, the temperature light turns to blinking and goes off. And I said, oh, how bad could it be? Right. And then I get here and I get a phone call. I I didn't, ha- I am in charge of many orders from Katz's Deli. And I get a call that the order's outside of the place. And I knew the order wasn't for today. <laughs> Whoops. And But sometimes it's, a, sometimes we can get away with it. They're happy to see the food. Right. <laughs> but it's, it's just so... It's such a, a clusterfuck. It, I live in a constant clusterfuck. <laughs> it's like I'm addicted. I, I don't know if I'm addicted to chaos or I thrive in it or I don't. I'm just so disorganized. I don't have a chance. <laughs> I think it's a it's a symptom of being middle aged, having a family, and trying to work. You know, like yeah, our whole lives seem like that every single day. It's like, well, I, I don't know. Mike. Most of my conversations with him every day are like. Jesus Christ, is there ever going to be a minute where we could just sit and fucking sit down and do nothing? Because it, it, never, it never seems to materialize. We're always like balls to the wall all day, every day. That's why you I know? love getting sick. Yes. Yeah. I recently got sick. Me too. And it was just like the greatest time of my life. Does, your, does Linda let you be sick? If I'm sick enough, she doesn't have a choice. Yeah. And I was throwing <laughs> up. So like once you're throwing up, you kind of have the, the green light to watch television. That's the key. But how sick is that? Like Friday, I had to leave work early and come home because I ate some questionable sushi at a place that I'm not going to talk about, but right. I should call them out. And uh, Was it Hanu? No. What was it called? It call was, them out. They're not listening. Uh, yeah. How do you know? <laughs> Trust me. Maybe. Mostly because I can never remember. The, it was that, it's that place in Syosset near the train station. Akira or something? Something like that. Kato? No. Kato, I've been ordering from for Kato's years. Great. Never had a problem. Anyway, um, 
So I started getting the chills and the shits and everything at work. And my first thought was not, oh shit, I'm getting sick. It was like, awesome. I'm getting sick. I get to go home. I get to lie on the couch. And that's what I did. I went home and I laid in the couch. I got sick as shit, right? I got, I got, I, we went out to, to breakfast with my wife and, um, I got this gigantic special taco, egg taco with sausage special. That sounds good. It, it, it doesn't sound like good to me anymore. Huevos rancheros. And, and I love huevos rancheros. Yeah. But I was I was actually interviewing Johan Hari that day, and I was going over the interview, and I walked home from you know two towns over with my dog, listening to Johan Hari preparing for the interview. And I get home and I interview Johan Hari. It wasn't that good. It wasn't good. You know, I might not even use it. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, uh, I didn't even hear it. And, uh, and and as soon as the interview's over, I start vomiting. And uh, and I, I and I, and my daughter is playing in her woodwind band ensemble that night. I couldn't go. Aww. And uh, I was vomiting, vomiting, vomiting. And the next day, I blamed it on the restaurant, which I'll say is JT's in Bayport. <laughs> right. But but. Three days later, my daughter got the same illness. So I don't think you mm-hmm. or me can blame Akira, Kato, JTs, or anyone. I yes. think it's a stomach flu. Yeah, it may be, except it came and went really fast. And that stomach flu tends to linger a couple of days. I was back to normal by Sunday. No, mine, mine was exactly the same. Mm, and it's the yeah. exact same symptoms. Huh. Diarrhea. I, was, I projectile vomited for the night, which was awesome. It reminded mm. me of withdrawal. I don't know how I can like that, but it somehow is like, I like it. Yeah, I, I've miraculously not gotten sick. I feel like shit, you know, but... You'll get it. Ne- never sick enough for my wife to leave me alone, you know? <laughs> is, what is sick enough for her to leave you alone? I feel like if I was projectile vomiting... Like, and she had to actually witness it because she doesn't believe anything I say because of all my years lying to her as an active addict. That's you know? very annoying. So even five years later, I'm still constantly like trying to prove that I'm not withdrawing. I'm not high. Like, I, that's how I feel. I don't have that. I don't have that at all. It might be in my head. But. My wife doesn't believe anything. Or if she does, she doesn't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. She might believe me, right. but there's no sympathy. There is no. No, no sympathy. See, ever, ever since I quit drinking like i have to be doing something all the time i'm running around i'm up so if she comes home and sees me lying flat on the couch she knows she knows that i'm there's something wrong with me because i do not do that so i get i get a little sympathy yeah and uh you know that's nice yeah yeah, it's good for like 24 hours if i did that my wife would complain that i'm being lazy or she would immediately assume that i was just watching tv for the last six hours she's like get off the couch my wife's pretty good with that stuff yeah i mean i try and stay on top of things you know that's my living amends. I'm always doing dishes and folding things. Okay. Well, yeah. Living amends are good. You got to do it. I have to. Otherwise, yeah. it, you know, it doesn't my get kids done. kids aren't going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got my uh, older son doing the laundry, his own laundry. Really? Yeah, not my laundry. How old is he? He's 16. That's good. Yeah. My daughter refuses to do it. She's going to turn 13 this week. Oh, God help you. When I was 10, <laughs> I had to do it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I, I told her when she was nine, she should start doing it. But her mother is like, no, I'm going to do it. I was like, it's going to be better for everyone if she does it. But yeah. uh, whatever. I mean, I always had to do it growing up. It wasn't even a you had a, chores? An issue. Yeah. yeah. I had to do the dishes and all that and cut the grass and everything. I don't know. Kids today. Yeah. They don't want to do anything. <laughs> What's the deal with kids? So... Uh, Thanks for making the time out. I appreciate it. Busy. Yeah, and who is on the show? Did you have a little intro? I did it. Oh, 
Dave. We, we did 40 minutes before you That's got true, here. That's true, yeah. So we did nothing but talk warm, shit about you for 40 minutes. <laughs> That's fair. Where is this fucking guy? <laughs> oh, man. I should I, I, I could have left really early, but me and Nat were talking that you like to get set up, and that was like 8.30, and I was like, all right. I left at 8, GPS said 9, and then that there was some death on the highway, oh, and Jesus. it got me here at 9.30. Yeah, it's fine. Well, we're glad really, you made it I alive. Made it. I'm not a, usually a late person, so I apologize. It, we were just sort of debating because, I mean, Dopey does this too, right? You, you Sometimes you have a pretty long entree before you get to the guest. Yeah. And we do that too. And we, we sit there sometimes and we wonder, like, do people just, are people getting pissed off at that? Do they want to just fast forward to the We've to gotten the meat, complaints you know? before. It's an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> it really is because I think I, I ask myself that question all the time. And the answer is, it dep- it's all, if it's yeah. good, it's good. Right. If it's not good, it's not good. Exactly. I mean, like Mark Marin. I never liked that Marin did that. Marin does mm-hmm. a monologue and then he has his guest. And I didn't like that he did it. And yet I, I copied it. Um, and I don't monologue. I, I, I'm like good for seven minutes. Mm. Then I'll read an email. Yeah, or yeah. I'll, you throw I'll, things I'll, in. I'll there. do a voicemail and then, you know, whatever. It's all, but I, I regret it. Like this week, we had one of our biggest guests in my imagination, not in the, the audience's right. imagination, <laughs> which is DMC from Run DMC. And, uh, Great interview, by the way. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Um, and I put up probably too much up front because, you, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of like people who are dying to listen to DMC. Like as famous as DMC is, I don't think like people are like, I got to hear the DMC yeah. interview. I don't know. In terms of monologuing at the front, I, I don't know the answer. I've become sick. The thing that I'm obsessed with is making the show two hours long. Hmm, if right. the show is not two hours long, I start like doing weird shit at the huh. end to get to two hours. <laughs> Stretch it out. Yeah, I don't know why. on for another 10 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know why I do that. Do you, do you uh, see, my wife says, you know, she listens occasionally not very often to your show yeah, to our show but her thing is like i you go you guys go for like an hour and a half two hours i cannot listen to something that that that's that long right i cannot listen to the two of you talk for that oh. long maybe that's it maybe it's like the prophet is without honor i was amazed that our wives listened at all like they were following it and well they like, want to figure out what we've been up to yes exactly <laughs> it's morbid curiosity yeah. it's shitty if they don't listen yeah. Uh, Linda does not listen anymore. She listens like she if she hears that there's a guest on that yeah, she's interested right. in, she'll listen. Yeah, she doesn't need. She never listened to me and Chris. She doesn't listen to me and anyone. She listens to herself. Yeah. When she's on, <laughs> she listens. And she yeah. loved Gabor Mate. Right? That was like she was very excited. She she loved him. She loved anybody. All those people that right. I had, the smart people. Mm-hmm. She likes to listen. To not me. like the pop goes the weasel guy. I don't think I ever put him out. I don't think <laughs> he I've, was the star, by the way, of DopeyCon. MC Search. <laughs> that was like he was. That was funny. He was a little bit of an albatross of yeah. DopeyCon. <laughs> did everybody complain about that? A lot of people complained, and I didn't put. I did an interview with him. It was like two hours long or something, mm. and uh, I didn't air it. I put it on Patreon. <laughs> and I didn't. I didn't put it out. I was always tempted to put it out, but I didn't. Do you do you have any idea where your what your demographics are like who the average dopey listener is in terms of age? Because I asked because like I listened to that DMC interview and I was totally in because the eighties you know that period between eighty five and eighty nine is when I was kind of running around with the crack and everything up in the Bronx and so for me that was like I was like eating candy listening to the stories about that era but I wonder like where where's your audience like what are they in terms of 
age. Do you know? I, I don't. I don't know. We're always trying to figure it out. I, I don't like. I don't know the demographic, yeah. but I I know that people show up. Meaning, like with DMC, I've gotten you know ten messages from people around you know mid forties, and they're like, "This is amazing." And yeah. then when I have Chloe LeBranch uh, or or Fentanyl J, I get ten. 25 year olds who are like this is amazing so i think it's between i think it's mostly 30 to 40 yeah a little bit more women than men Mm -hmm. and then on the outskirts i mean i think there are more older than younger because the show is is you know we're old like like we just got an int no no that i have an editor i work with and she was born on my birthday in 1992. Wow. <laughs> you know? So it's like... And, That'll and, make you feel old. Well, yeah. it's interesting. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's interesting that it's just... I remember 1992 very well. <laughs> you know? Here, pause it. I'm going to get in big trouble. Yep. That's funny because my partner was just texting. Ta-da! Yeah, it's interesting you should mention, like, <clears throat> uh, Marin's, like, opening monologue because, you know, I like I love that show and I've listened to it for years, but I'm not, like, so much on into comedians like he is. So I, a lot of shows I find myself listening to the monologue and skipping the guest, huh. which that's uh, interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I was listening to Howard Stern on the way here. I was listening to the end of the Pamela Anderson interview. And then I listened to John Lovitz <laughs> and, uh, and I loved John Lovitz when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I have to say the interview on Howard Stern, like, isn't good no <laughs> it's like it's just and it's and it's a lot of it is because it's about being a comedian yeah or, or being an actor and their choices and it's like fuck you i don't care right. i want to hear about life yeah more yeah. than choices right you know although john lovett's like for being kind of a loser uh He's hanging out with like David Bowie yeah. and stuff. It's pretty cool. <laughs> What's he into today? I haven't heard from John Lovett since. Well, why know. would Howard Howard put him on the yeah. show? I don't even know who. I'm so. I don't. I think I have mental illness, like serious mental illness. <laughs> I I. Yeah, I think I might. Who is this? It was some politician that was running for president and just got Santos. Oh, George Santos is uh, our congressman. Actually, he's a New York. He's a New yes. York congressman. The guy that lied about everything from this, this district. I don't know anything. Yes. I don't know anything. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, he's something else. So they brought John Lovitz to play him <laughs> as the liar. That's amazing. And Stern thought it was so funny. He's like, oh, "I'm going to put John Lovitz." And I didn't think. I mean, maybe it's because I'm out of touch, but I didn't think it was funny. Yeah. Well, who knows? It's funny what we think is funny. I mean, it's interesting with uh, when you get like A list guests, you know, or B list guests who? who have anybody. We like, we we don't. I don't think we've come. I don't think we've come close to the well, B list. I'm just saying, like, because sometimes. <laughs> I mean, Action Bronson, if he calls you he back, did, he, that's for Katz's. That's not for Dope. Oh, but sometimes when you get somebody of that caliber, and they're it's really just publicists making the rounds, and they're just pushing a project. You're not really getting like that. underneath. You're getting like. The marketing. Well, we you know don't I mean? get, I mean, like, I mean, I've never, what's the highest level? I mean, I guess Marin isn't even, I don't think Marin's, maybe Marin's B-list. Easily. Okay. You say Marin's, Jamie Lee Curtis is A-list. Yeah. yeah. She was very weird on the show. <laughs> like, yeah. to be generous, she yeah. was weird on Dopey. Yeah. Um, And I don't get anyone doing the rounds. 
Like, who, does anyone ever come on to promote? I don't think I ever like, had anyone come on to promote anything. Right. And if they did, they would be fucking idiots because nobody listens right. to well, that's We tried to get Hunter Biden with similar result. You know? No, you, but fucking Amy Dresner got, she got her. her. That's, why we, that's why we took the shot. So annoying. I know. Yeah. I messaged her. I'm like, hey, uh, how did you get in touch with her? And she's like, I can't tell you. <laughs> that, that's like the most annoying thing in the world to me. Yeah. That rehab confidential hunter biden thing because they they were trying like i'm very arrogant about where dopey's at right and rehab confidential were, were playing as though they were competing with dopey oh yeah they were yeah. making a go trying and, and then they had hunter biden and for a second i was like oh fuck i have to compete with rehab confidential uh but and then i couldn't get hunter biden because hunter biden is scared to fucking come on and drop the dopey not to mention he doesn't know what the dopey is but right. he wouldn't want to do dopey no. yeah he's got to be buttoned up i think he needs no. like 30 years of recovery and then yeah. he can come on dopey when i'm dying <laughs> his publicist got back to me and said uh he's you know he's done with he's done doing the press around that and maybe if he does something else you know we'll keep you in mind like you know the brujol but it's fine you know he I got, got it. he got back we, i had a dopey listener reach out and he got back to her with the same kind of yeah i mean the thing is they they can't if you if you have a, a podcast and you know, people who are outside of the recovery sphere don't know what the big podcasts are in the recovery sphere, right? right? So they look at a show like us. We have 100 and whatever, five episodes out there. We have, you know, lots of five-star reviews. We look legit, right? Despite the fact that our listenership is like a tenth of what, what yeah. yours is, right? But I can, I'll still make the play. I'll try and get anybody on. I don't That's care. That's what you have to do. You yeah. know. Um, Act but like I, you've been there. We yeah. found lately, though, like, like we, we, we kind of scaled down a couple of months ago because both of us were just way too overextended yeah. with work and with life and everything. So we kind of put the guest thing off to the side a yeah. little bit. And we were doing good for a little bit. And yeah. then, uh, you know, I want Anthony Weiner. That's the guy I want. Yeah. You want Weiner? Okay. Oh, you should be able to get him. <laughs> Is he in recovery? Yeah. Should I try to get him? You, you probably should. Yeah. All right. Man. I mean, I'm just so not in touch. Like he's, I'm, uh, I'm out I, of touch. I think he's, it's sex addiction thing with him he got caught sending dick pics to some no i remember the story yeah. because his name was wiener i thought so, it was very funny yeah. he's all like i'm he's, a sex addict well he's married to huma abedin who's still Clint, no used to be yeah yeah he's clinton's chief of staff hillary's so you know and then his laptop they found some it's always bad. with the laptops yeah, with these guys just, i don't do shit on my laptop they found some kind of classified documents on there so oh. it was like a big to do yeah, but that's he, a new so thing. he's making a comeback he's got a show on abc now on am so okay and a podcast all right I'll, I'll try to get him why not he'd be good he'd be he'd be good and he's local right he's local i yeah. could do it in person yeah that's all across the street i'm done <laughs> i'm done with uh, lock up your cat i'm done with remote <laughs> shit I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with remote shit. It sucks. It's hard. It, it's it's not good. You really don't get the same experience. I don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to do it. Like, I mean, I'll do it. I did it with Johan Hari. It was fucking terrible. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's, there are some people you can do it with that are, Johan Hari, right, is somebody you should be able to do it with. Mm -hmm. And it was my fault that it wasn't great. Yeah. I mean, it was not true. It's really his fault. It was, it was, it was too late at night for him. Yeah. It was like nine o'clock. He was out of it. He can't, yeah. He came on the zoom saying I'm totally knackered. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's a great way to start the interview. And then it's like, he had 20 points that his publicist sent to me. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I know these points, yeah, but, but what I'm interested in, his book was about, uh, 
it was about how we can't pay attention anymore because of the phone, because of social media and right. stuff. And I was, and he's, you know, one of the foremost journalists around addiction. He wrote that book. Uh, the opposite. Of, oh, I don't know what no, it was called. No, the book was called uh, Chasing the Scream. Mm-hmm. And it's really amazing addiction book. And he's always quoted as saying yeah, the opposite like of the addiction biggest, is yeah, connection. Huge quote. I don't, I don't even think he came up with it though. Um, yeah, probably not. I don't know why I'm going to bash Johan Hari <laughs> on your show, but uh, all I wanted to talk to him about was fucking the because he's a journalist who talks about addiction and he's a journalist who talks about attention and technology and screen screen stuff. Let's let's talk about the connection there, and he fucking wouldn't do it. He hmm. wouldn't. He, put it together. he wouldn't put it together. Huh. And then I'm re- then I'm really going to say some stupid shit here. Uh, if anyone's listening, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I went, I ran up with Mark Marin, and Mark Marin said he had interviewed Johan Hari, uh, for his show, but Johan Hari refused to talk about himself what? and Marin didn't air it. What wow. the fuck? Yeah. This is, this is, I mean, the one thing you should know about going on the Mark Marin shows, you, you talk, talk about, about yourself. yourself, even your appearance, you went <laughs> deep into your history and stuff. Well, That's I was a, really excited to talk about myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to hear about elementary school? Yes. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. He did the yeah, whole thing. Yeah. DMC man, interview. fucking DMC. He he like he's he, amazing. He's, he's like listing everyone in his seventh grade class. Yeah. I'm like, all right, take it easy. I don't <laughs> yeah. need to know about this. He goes, remembers he all went the very, details. He went very very deep. Yeah, uh, deep dive. But I appreciated that. You know that. You know how the sausage was made in in the basements of Queens. You know that's it was it was really compelling. I thought. Well, I enjoyed I'm, it. I'm glad it was yeah. it was it blew my mind to sit with him in my father's house, you know, <laughs> blew my mind to sit in the room where I watched, you know, MTV raps growing up yeah. with DMC. Yeah. Like that, that was cool. Yeah. That must've been crazy. Like he's sitting right there and you're explaining to him, like I was sitting right over there, you know, listening to run DMC. It's amazing. It, it's, it, it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's, that's a joy, you know, or Michael Imperioli in my dad's kitchen where I would sit and watch the Sopranos <laughs> high on heroin. And I'm sitting with, with Michael Imperioli. Yeah. Cool. That's that's that is pretty wild. It's, it's interesting because you get such a weird cross section of people, man. I mean, you get oh, yeah. everybody from they're all good, with, a lot with, of great people. But you know, the common the common thread is the addiction thread, right? So there's certain commonalities that go between guests, right? But uh, but they're from you know everybody from uh, graffiti skateboard artists to yeah. you know top top level comedians to I mean Mackenzie Phillips probably one of my favorite. Yeah, she was two, great. Two interviews. I keep meaning to ask you if you can give me her contact information. I'm like, <laughs> I wonder if I could get her on the well, show. She was amazing. The thing about Mackenzie Phillips, the the fir- first interview was just like sick. You know what I mean? Like it was amazing. Yeah. And then uh, I went out to California to do Marin show and I went to meet her. I went to the rehab that she works at and I think she owns a piece of it. It's called Breathe Life. Mm. And it was like just really cool you know what i mean i didn't i should have recorded with her when i was there that would have made a lot more sense um and then uh i came home and i did another interview with her and um and it was good but it's like i just think you need togetherness you know what i mean like you need togetherness but Mackenzie phillips is one of my all-time she's one of the people that I wanted more than anybody Mm -hmm. and the first interview when she talks about her father Mm -hmm. and, and 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 like the last hit of purple haze acid that she stole from him. It's like, you can't even believe it. Great story. Yeah. Those stories. Yeah. Blew me away. Well, I feel, 
I, I feel like I always wanted to have a talk show. It's all I ever wanted when I was a kid and I have one and I'm, I'm like, it's, it's humbling to hear you even know who's been on my show <laughs> and that it's cool to you. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel, I honestly feel as though I do it alone yeah. Uh, and nobody listens to it, even though I hear from people right. and I see numbers and I talk about it, it doesn't really feel like it exists. Yeah, it's a weird kind of like pseudo closeness that we have with like listeners and other people like adjacent to the show. It's really interesting. Like, we're basically complete strangers who only like talk to one another because I was a fan of the show and I'm like, I want to help, you know. But there's so many people like that, and we've been forming these relationships with like our listeners, and it just blows my mind that. You know, these are real people, you know, and they're real relationships. They're like meeting up like DopeyCon was a mind fuck. Just like seeing everybody, you know, that you got to know on Dopey Nation. It's Mike, really you should have come to DopeyCon. Yep. Next next year. It was good. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. You liked it? It was a lot of fun. It was interesting. You know. For sure. Uh-huh. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was like a miracle. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, because I, I live for, for Dopey. Like right. I, I fucking live for Dopey. I mean, I, I think my order of importance is my family, then Katz's and Dopey. I used to put Katz's in front of Dopey, <laughs> and, and now they're probably neck and neck. Yeah. But I live for this show. I like, I, I ask Nat, I'm yeah. fucking insane. You can tell, and it, it's amazing because it's just amazing that you've been doing it this long, and it's still every single week. You never miss a week. But I also never don't love it. Right. Like, I don't, like, fucking fuck around with it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't, like, like, if pe- like people ask to come on the show, and I'm like, oh, you know, I, I don't want, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, what, can you date my daughter right. kind of thing? It's like, <laughs> no, you can't. If you ask, that means you're off the list. Well, it's an interesting, you know, there's this. Depends there, on who's asking, I guess. Right? Nobody good is asking. Actually, <laughs> one time this woman asked, her name is Holly Randall. Do you remember that episode? She was a, a photographer from Playboy and shot porn with her parents. And she has, <laughs> she has a big podcast called mm. Holly Randall. Randall unfiltered where she just interviews porn actors and actresses and she asked to come on she didn't particularly bring the dopey you know (laughs) but uh but I was happy to have her on we did a little ad swap too yeah, she was down with swapping. <laughs> she wanted to stop. Well, I like the the different types of you know. Whenever you're like announcing a new guest, it's like really interesting. You get like authors, musicians, you know, all you know, just people who are like intelligentsia, other podcasts. So, so it's a nice mix, like week to week. You know, what make what makes these uh, interviews really successful though? Like Marin's good at this, uh, and you're really good at it. Is you develop like an almost immediate intimacy with yeah. some of these guests that makes the interview style like incredibly engaging. And, you know, I've been trying to sort of tease out how that works. And Marin I can do it with comedians and people in Hollywood because they have that common thread of common experience. But, you know, when it comes to like a show, like a recovery based show, like Dopey, you know, is it, do you think the fact that you're able to get that sort of intimate relationship right off the bat because of the commonality of the thread of recovery that's running through it? Or do you think there's something else involved? Well, that's a good question. I think that, uh, first of all, I don't know that, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say this in all sincerity, and I don't, I don't know if Dopey is really a recovery-based okay, show. fair enough. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely a, a component. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's something that I'm interested in as a person. Like, I'm interested in 
getting to know people way too fast. Like mm. that's just how I am. Like I'll I'll talk to somebody at the bus stop as though we're waiting for the bus. We're we're the same person. Why shouldn't we be able to talk like we know each other? That's just like AA. Hey, hey, you walk in and you're immediately yeah. telling everyone your deepest secrets. I like that. I think also, you know, this might sound cliched and it might or might not be true. It's because I'm from Manhattan. Like mm-hmm. it's something that that's built into the, my mother would talk to everyone in my building <laughs> as though she knew them and everyone seemed happy to talk to her. And I loved watching that. I yeah. was really interested in that. Yeah. And so like when it were, it doesn't always work on mm-hmm. the show, you know, it, and it certainly doesn't, it doesn't work. The chances of it working on zoom or on the phone with a professional is very unlikely. Right. So like, that's why like I'm trying to remove that and, and COVID you kind of didn't have a choice right. and you got these weird names that you didn't, you wouldn't have gotten like the Kathy Valentine from the go-go's or people like that. <laughs> right. She's somebody that was just promoting her book mm-hmm. or, or fucking your, your, your home girl, Grace, Annie Grace. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was like the worst dopey guest in history. Yeah. Top, bottom five. Honestly, dopey I, guests. I, I, that interview was Sorry, not, Annie. it was yeah. not her best <laughs> it was hour. Pretty, she, she just didn't want to be on the show. Yeah. So it's like, if you don't want to fucking come on right. my show, guess what? Yeah. Don't come on. You fucking idiot. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you definitely need, you know, it, it, you need two people to be part of that relationship, yeah. right? Right, to, right? To to want the intimacy, because if they don't, then it's not going to work. If like, only one has it and the other doesn't, it's going to sound weird and stilted. But when wow. you nail it, it's gold. Like when I'm listening to an interview and you can feel the report, you can, you know what I mean? When you really break through and you're both like vibing, it's gold. I wish that for bad ones, I could just be like, why the fuck are you on the phone with me right now? <laughs> like, I don't know why I never thought to do that. I think it's because like, it's like I'm fucking on the tightrope and I want to bring something home. That's good. Right. And mm-hmm. like, and I know it's not going to get good. You know what I mean? You're like 40 minutes in. It's not going to get good. I should blow it up because there's some entertainment in that. And I don't, I never done that before. I think I should try. I try so hard. Like it's sad. It's fucking sad. I try so hard to make these people like me and they're not interested. And I'm like, it's, it's like demoralizing. Yeah, like, it's like, a real rejection. It yeah. is, no, it, it's, it's a personal rejection. It is. It's yeah. like, cause why are you on the fucking phone with me being a cunt, you know? Yeah, and, and it's yeah. not just women. I mean, like I just, I was just, <laughs> and, and, you know, apologies to my misogyny. I'm using the English definition, British definition of cunt, not the American one. I, I think we, we get it. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> But fucking, or Jake the Snake Roberts, right? Jake the Snake Roberts is coming back on Dopey this week, okay? And I and in my imagination, I was like, the first time he was on, it was good. And I go back and I listen to it. It was awful, it. man. It wasn't good. He was he <laughs> couldn't breathe. Is that the one where he hung up early because he was wheezing? Yeah, he was. He's his like, COPD oh, was kicking in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but the reason I, I was like, why, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, why did I think this was good? And I, and then at the end of it, he goes. I'd like to do this every month. <laughs> and I was like, that's why I thought it was good. <laughs> He's uh, massaging your ego. Well, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the idea. I grew up watching Jake the Snake. Sure. Yeah, and man. like, I wanted him, I, I, you know, okay, brother. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I wanted him to want to be on the show, but how, how could you want to be on the show? Why do you think that didn't work? That interview? 
I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. I think he was just ill, wasn't he? Like, I, I mean, th- the sound was a little hokey, if I remember, on, on his end. But I think the sound on his end wasn't great, and it was because of the way I was recording. Mm. And it's really about trying to figure out the way someone talks. Mm. And the way he talks, because he does these wrestling monologues and because he's, a, he's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, he stops talking. And then he starts again, and you don't know that he's going to start again, and I don't see him. So I think I, I talked over him a lot. Yeah. His story also is so gnarly. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he was born, I think he was born out of a, a rape conception, and, and he was sexually abused. And it's like, it's it's really serious stuff that, even though I've done so many interviews with people who have had such deep trauma, I'm, I'm not that great at handling it. Right. Like I, 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 because I didn't have that happen to me. Mm. So like I can, I can be, what's the word? I, I not sympathetic, but there's em- another empathetic, empathetic, but it's like how, how much it's like, you know, how much empathy can I really show? And, and I can show some, but when the connection, and I don't mean that we didn't have a connection. It's like fucking John Lovitz and Howard Stern. Right. Poor Howard Stern is locked up in his mansion. He refuses to sit with people. Yeah. And, and it's like, and it really destroys the quality of his show because the connection doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, you could feel it. I have to pee so bad. I want to apologize yeah, we, to all the Annie Grace listeners out there. We, we were both on her podcast. I know. Yeah, I was we, I was very jealous. I think I'm actually just you would resentful be great of on that. It, but she's no. I'm I'm too much of a. I'm not a naked mind devotee. I'm a twelve stepper, and she hates the twelve steps. She's definitely. Ooh, I don't know if she hates the twelve steps, but it's. I think she sees the twelve steps as money that's not going into her pocket. Right. I think I should start a beef with <laughs> Annie Grace. This seems like the one person to do it with. It I seems like an unlikely beef. You should you know start it Sh- right here. Do you know Shane Raymer? back Shane you mean that sober guy yes what he's back I didn't know he was gone I stopped listening I don't know I if he listen. left either but I know he's back Who? get him on the show he's that I'm the, not getting him I'm not no way there was a podcast I don't know a few years ago uh called that sober it guy. started before dopey yeah and uh dopey was beefing with him for some reason I can't remember why they were talking shit or something but it was funny because it was like Two sober podcasts that, you know, weren't that popular at the time, I don't think. I'm definitely starting a beef with Annie Grace. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I could lose that beef. I think the audience would like it. And uh, I think that her audience wouldn't know what was happening. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a surprising number of people that I've encountered, though, who, who use that book as a launching point for their own sobriety. So I'm, you know, and, and have been successful with it because, you know, the, the AA idea of, you know, uh, of you know, addiction being a disease that ends inevitably in jails, institutions, or death is not the way that Annie Grace looks at the world of substance abuse, right? And a lot of people who are on that continuum who yeah. believe that uh, addiction is on a continuum and you could still have a drinking problem even if you're not on that slippery slope to, to the morgue. Um, it's funny, you know, though. It's funny how, like, the dogma pollutes people's brains. Yeah. I, I see AA totally like that old... Uh, proverb about the blind man and the elephant Mm -hmm. like meaning there's to me like there's so much to 12-step recovery that i don't think about that because i i don't believe that like i don't believe that the alcoholic is on a death march to the morgue if they don't do the 12 steps i don't believe that the alcoholic is on a death march to the institution or or anything i just we we know from personal experience that 
that's pretty likely. It's a pretty likely scenario. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. But I, I think that uh, I think that her point is that um, there are other ways to skin the cat, and you don't necessarily need the twelve step programs. And there are a lot of people in twelve step who are very aggressive about it being the only no shit way. To yeah. salvation. I mean, you do, you go like all the time to that Long Beach meeting, which I have to go to at some it's point. It's not Long Beach. Isn't it? Where is it? No, it's uh, I forget. It's, it's, it's uh, on the beach. Yeah, it's, it's Cory Beach. <laughs> Out east. It's Bayport. And now we're in, in the church. And, and I've been getting shit because I've yeah. been saying stuff in the meeting where I say that half measures don't necessarily avail nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, that half measures usually avail half. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that, and that like you can do service and tell someone and it's still service. Yeah. You know, it's just, there is a quasi religious component. Yeah. The, 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 the dogmatic component is terrifying, but, but people are fucking crazy. Yeah. The thing about Annie Grace, uh, I commend her. Like, I think it's awesome that so many people have gotten to recovery through her program and her book. And, um, see, I'm just so on the fence about, making money off of recovery it's mm-hmm. such a weird fucked yeah. up thing and and i'm working with a bunch of apps and shit that just profit on recovery and and i'm profiting on recovery <laughs> i was gonna say i mean we're, yeah, we're yeah. sitting here we both have patreons you know so there is a but there's it, a, a financial element involved but i'm not putting together the dopey program you know what i mean yeah, i'm yeah, not i'm not right. trying to teach anyone how to do it and i'm also very 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 active in, in suggesting free programs and, 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 and being available. You know what I mean? Like, right. I mean, I put it as a joke. There was a hundred dollar tier on Patreon that one yeah, person, <laughs> that one person actually paid. And I talked to her and she's got like 18 months uh, sober. So yeah. maybe I'm just like Jesus Christ. But I, <laughs> I, but I mean like, honestly, if anybody reaches out to me, I'm there you know, because that's what I was taught and that, and because that's what, what happened for me. Right. So like, right. but I, at the same time, you know, like I have a fucking ho- job that I don't love and, and, and I would love to be really wealthy, but I mean, like I wouldn't know how to make a program of recovery and charge people for it. It just doesn't seem like that's my destiny. Mm-hmm. Like what, and that's why, like when we talk about dopey as a recovery based show, I want addiction to be as important to dopey as recovery. And I really want dumb shit to be as important as recovery so that the show is enter- more entertaining than anything else. Do you think in the last, I don't know, a couple of years, the, sh- the dopey has kind of drifted a little more in the recovery direction and a little less in the, 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 the dumb shit direction? I try to keep it even, but, but that's the issue I try to even it out, but yeah, probably, well, right? it reflects what you're doing with your recovery. Like, you've been getting, you know, more involved. I mean, you talk about it on the show in AA and 12-step where you weren't early on. So, of course, you're going to talk. I mean, you did the uh, daily reflections on you. you know. Oh, that was a big so, failure. I mean, oh and you guys God. used to argue about whether or not to put the word recovery in the intro. Remember, you, it used to be like drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and recovery. And like that was always kind of a debate, but I don't know how you have one without the other unless it's like, even well, it's all be, bad. Because then you end up like it's all bad and it's right. just war story after war story after war story. And, uh, you know, I like those guys, but I don't know how much meth in L.A. I can listen yeah. to. Like, I mean, it's like, well, I, I think know. I feel like it's all bad is going to benefit from the fact that none of those guys are going to die from addiction. You right. know, like our show, who knows what our show would have been if Chris hadn't died. 
Yeah. You know, like Chris yeah. loved to talk recovery though. He loved to talk recovery way more than I did. And and lately, like I think people like uh like Fentanyl J makes the show great because he is the spirit of dopey. Mm -hmm. He knows how to talk about his addiction and his recovery in an incredibly stupid way. <laughs> and it's like it just warms my, my heart. He's very <laughs> endearing, you know, and he brings the kind of chaos that I remember from early recovery, you know, like the you're sober today, but you know, you're back and forth and he sort of brings that to the show. I hope there's still don't I mean what do you think? Mike, do you think the dumb shit like what? Where, I mean, you listen to the show. It sounds like, like I mean, you, you think there's too much recovery in dopey these days? No, I I like the recovery aspect of dopey also because it's you know it's a little glimmer of hope. Yeah, you know, for people who are who are out there to hear, you know, because these stories are all funny because of survival, right? right? Because people are telling them have made it through to the other side for the most part. So like, when there are people on who are actively out there going balls to the wall who have no in no interest in stopping or anything that makes me a little mm, i get a little uncomfortable yeah. with that you know i want to i want a story arc where the survival is at the other end oh, you know man. what i mm. it, it's crazy though it's like it's like when chris died it was like i got this crazy backlash for months like I think when Chris was alive, there was a, a pretty big population of people that were using that were listening to the mm -hmm. show. And like we would get emails about people like going to cop listening to dopey. Yeah. You know, right. like and, yeah. and, and it was like it was like it was remarkable. Yeah. Like like we, we couldn't believe it, you know, and, and we loved that. Like I if I would never in a million years listen to a podcast with two recovering drug addicts while I'm copping. In a million years, <laughs> I would never fucking listen to that yeah. if I was using. Right. You know, so I was like, this is, I'm, I, part of me was like, we're doing something right. And then part of me is like, obviously those people are ambivalent about what they're doing in the moment. Mm -hmm. And after Chris died, it was like, and I see this sort of like, you know how like it takes light X amount of time to travel to, the earth from the sun so that the light we're getting is actually like seven minutes old. Yeah. It's old. Yeah. So like for, for months after Chris died, I got kind of hate mail from the part of the audience that was using really, uh, that they, they felt like I turned my back on them. Huh. Uh, and it was really like, I also was traumatized. Sure. I, I was traumatized by Todd and Chris's death. And I, and I, I'm, we're working on this thing right now. This, uh, you know, there, there's a, there's a huge Time. You know, Time Magazine. They have a subsidiary called Time Documentaries, and they make gigantic TV shows and movies. And and we're in development on a three part series about Dopey. Awesome. So, yeah. uh, well, it's cool, but it's really you know, cool. It's nothing if nothing happens. <laughs> it's a cool story. <laughs> nothing right. changes. Um, nothing changes. So I'm I'm going through old episodes to I'm like putting together. I'm and it's so fucking crazy. It's like this is your life, and I have that happen basically every time we do a show about Chris, and every yeah. time we do a show about Todd, I'm like back in trying to find something new or something that speaks to me or something that I think will work and so i i just you know chris died in episode 142 Two. and a half you yeah. know he died after episode 142 todd died i think in episode 138 yeah mm -hmm. like so you're talking about like a month yeah. five weeks apart so like that shit fucked me up i i wonder about that sometimes because you know you get we were talking about this before you got here like how people who just discover the podcast go back 
listen from episode one, right. get to the point where Chris dies, probably send you an email. Like, does that re-traumatize you all over again? Because you're probably, you're, but I, I mean, the flip side of that is it seems like the way you've dealt with Chris's death through the show is, an, is a very healthy way because it, it's, it's a cautionary tale. Yeah, and the week after, you had that round table, and that was amazing. Like, I remember thinking, like, wow, that was powerful. Yeah, that was... You didn't just stop the show. You were, like, got the friends and family on. But, yeah, like, it's probably the healthiest way you could have processed it using the show. I don't know what else I could do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I... Me and him had a really easy time making the show. Show wasn't always good, but we had a real easy time making it. Like it was not hard to do. And then when he died, like I mean, it it, it does traumatize me a little every time I deal with his death because it was it was so crazy. And uh, I remember, and I was so blindsided by it. And then I and I was so invested in the show. You know what I mean? And and, and my wife was like, "You can stop making it." And I was like, I can't, I can't stop making it. And then like, you know, the, the first episode, like when he died, like I was going to do a 10 minute show, but then I was, then I, because I'm so invested in the show and because like I just lived to make it, I was like a 10 minute show isn't good. And then, I, and then because I'm so invested in producing it and making it good or trying to make it good. And I had talked to Annie and she told me what had happened. I was like, would you tell that story on the show? Mm. And, um, it was so powerful. You know what I mean? And part of me feels like PT Barnum and part of me feels like some kind of artist, you know what I mean? Like, and I don't, I think it's a mix, right? It's, sure. it's a mix of all those things. And, uh, it's fucked up though because I, I'm I'm an opportunist based on this tragedy, but at the same time, I know that these people are invested in Chris's life, yeah. and they want to hear what right. happened, and and they they kind of need to, yeah. And then like with the friends, I, I was going to I I was going to the funeral in Boston, and they invited me to stay with them. Those people that Chris had gotten sober with, that most of them had been on the show, yeah. those guys. And I was like, could we record a show again? Is it opportunistic? Like, what is it? I think it's, I think it's grief. I think it's an expression of grief. I felt, I felt weird about it. And also because I'm so insecure and so needing mm. positive feedback, I'm like, was it good? And it's <laughs> right. like, all of us are grieving our dead friend. And I'm like, is this good for the show? It's kind of fucked up. You know what I mean? I mean, what do you think Chris would have thought about you continuing? I mean, have you, have you thought he, about that? He probably would have been. He I mean, would have, he, listen, Chris loved Opie. Yeah. Uh, I think Chris would be, he would have loved to, he loved to be mentioned, you know, he, <laughs> and he loved yeah. to be mentioned so much that he loved it when I tore him apart because he loved the attention. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, he, I was talking about this the other day because all these people that listen to the show, a lot of them have started over. Yeah, you know, I remember you started. A, yeah, a I went back to one and yeah. started listening again just to re-traumatize myself. <laughs> but it's also like it's, it's good times. Yeah. Like, and, and I have a friend who's listening again, and he was like, "Me and him were talking about Chris in general, and like this. I know I've known. Obviously, we're we're you know we're we're recovery in the Middle Ages. That's we're, right. Middle aged people. <laughs> Lean into your brand. And we've 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 known a lot of people over the years, and I've known a lot of people that were kind of like Chris but they were much crazier or not as smart or not as easygoing. And Chris was just like, it was like the Goldilocks 
scenario so for, for me and Dopey, mm-hmm. meaning like he was so brilliant about so many things and he was so good natured about me fucking with him that it just set up this dynamic. And, and if he had just been a little bit smarter or a little bit less open or a little bit more defensive, the show wouldn't have been good. Right. So, right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, we were talking about how people they're listening from the beginning and why one of the reasons people feel so close to you and to the show, it's because most of us went through that kind of, you know, by listening. And I think by having that show afterwards, I mean, people were grieving with you. And how many of us have had a friend pass away? Right. Like, right. Overdose. So it's almost like it's it's like counseling in in a way, you know, just by listening to it and getting through it. So I think it did a it was did a service, I think. But there's also this funny famous meme where it's like someone saying something to their mother and the mother is like real friend or podcast host. <laughs> you know? And I think that is a real thing. And then yeah, I also sure. think I also think like Chris's death was the beginning of, of that Dopey Nation group. Like right. that Dopey Nation Facebook group didn't exist. Me and Chris refused to do it yeah. before he died. And I think it was mostly because I was so insecure. I didn't want to read people liking him more than me. <laughs> but you weren't doing shtick. You really didn't like it. What? That you like they like him more than you. Like you had that little bit of competition. Oh, I was you know? I was terrified yeah, that, yeah. I, that I, I people didn't like me, <laughs> right. and they liked him. You know what I mean? And it was, but if that's like a built-in old school self-hating addict thing. Yeah, it's it's uh, definitely a, a challenge when you have like a, a Discord or you have a Facebook group or something to kind of get in there and see what people are saying about you and about the show. Yeah, and you know one place we got a little pushback lately is you know we we've been pushing an ad on Facebook that's addiction comedy podcast. Yeah, that's one of my ads. Yeah, and addiction we, recovery comedy. Podcast. But I've gotten more than a handful of comments about people who are like, "There's nothing funny about yeah. addiction." There's yeah, nothing that's what funny, Jamie Lee Curtis you know? said. Yeah, and uh, or you know it's funny for you guys to. You know, you laugh about it, but what about the families and yeah, the wreckage be- you've left in your way and all this stuff? And I'm like, I'm like, they, I'm like, well, maybe this isn't the show for you. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, I don't know what to say uh, when people come at me that way. They don't belong know? listening. Is to that it. ad very effective? Yeah. So maybe we should do Addiction that. Addiction recovery <laughs> comedy. Maybe we should steal that ad from you. <laughs> I think my ads are too slack. Slap you a know, dopey like, thing on it and use, use every, the same one. <laughs> every time I write copy for a dopey ad or try to, it always comes out looking like a like a financial commercial. You know. <laughs> well, I think I we like should steal. I think I should steal your <laughs> bit. I think <laughs> recovery comedy. Yeah. Well, um, what, were, what, were, what was the question? I've got. Um, I, got I got. I got. Just kind of weird. Is there a line between comedy and tragedy in the addiction sphere that shouldn't be crossed? Tra- Tragedy plus time is comedy. I, yeah, for me, I don't, I don't, I don't. Uh, luckily, I, I never hear that. You know, yeah. I, I don't hear that. I think I heard it. I think Chris and I heard it a little bit in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit. I remember in the very beginning, we would hear like, "You shouldn't do that." Like that's not the thing to do but i don't know why and i'm i'm gonna say again very egomaniacally <laughs> that because the show was good that people didn't i i think that we covered the bases enough yeah like like i i would circle the wagon if i felt like i was not i mean every time i miss something it blows up in my face 
You know what I'm saying? Like if I miss something, it fucking blows up in my face. So I think we've done a good job in not laughing too. I think it also because Chris died and because Todd died and because all these people died, they know that I've been through it. Yeah, like of course you're taking it seriously. And right. The fact that you're, I, th- I think that's joking. built in. I think that's built in. Yeah, I think a yeah. lot of those comments are from people that have never listened. They to don't us get and it. Have no idea what you know, what the show is really all about. That used to happen where like at my AA group, when it's an anniversary, people who from outside the group will come and watch their loved one get their one year. And I've heard this comment in the past where they're like, they were uncomfortable with everybody joking about all these stories that they remember they went through. Like they're the ones that found the guy, you know, and brought him to rehab. It's not funny to them. Yeah. Like my dad, my dad often, my dad is often on the fence. You know what yeah, I mean? Like sure. he just understands my sense of humor mm-hmm. and, and really he loves comedy. He loves feeling good so much that even if it's from this horribly painful place, if the outcome is we're having a good time, yeah, he's okay. He right. doesn't love it when I blame him for my heroin addiction and stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's like the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, he knows you're shticking. He's great. He plays along, man. He's great. But I am, yeah. I don't know that I'm totally doing shtick. Yeah. I, 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 but that's what makes it really yes, funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite part. Because like, obviously it can't be his fault that I'm a heroin addict, <laughs> but it's my favorite. Fu- I, I can't wait to get back to that shtick again. <laughs> it was fun. And it was great seeing him at DopeyCon. He had a suit on and he was just kind of like holding holding court, meeting everybody. Everybody loves Alan. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's interesting, though, with the <clears throat> kind of t- try and roll that back a little bit because, you know, Nat and I talked uh, early on in the show about, you know, a lot of, you know, you get this uh, Gabor Mate idea that all of the uh, all I addiction I think I mispronounced is, his name for How do whole, you pronounce it? Gabor? I say Gabor. Gabor? Oh. But I think you guys are right. <laughs> I, I wish I could ask him. I don't know. I, I, I only ever read his name. I don't think I ever heard him pronounce it. I would love, we have to find I out. I think but it's anyway, like Zsa Gabor. What did he Gabor? say? He, well, you know, he, his whole theory is that, you know, addiction is rooted in trauma as a result of adverse childhood experiences. Right. And Nat and I were trying to swap adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. and we were, weren't coming up with a whole lot, you know? And, and from what I know of your story, yeah. you know, there was nothing in your past, you know, you weren't locked in a closet or beaten or anything, you know, and, and any of that kind of stuff. And then it sort of, Gets a question is like, what are these minor things that we've interpreted as trauma? Do they even exist? Is that where addiction comes yeah. from? You know, we've been trying to sort of tease that out for for the whole. Like, what is trauma? Like, most of the trauma I experienced was grammatical in nature. My father was <laughs> constantly correcting my grammar my whole life. Is that really trauma? Because I'm not feeling accept like that type of thing. I don't think that. And this is with all due respect to you two and to me. I feel like we're not capable of defining trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've talked to Gab Ormonte about it, and I've talked to Dr. Drew about it, and I've talked to all these people about it. And, and, and to be honest, I don't think anybody's capable of really defining trauma. I mm. think the idea of trauma on a sliding scale makes the most sense to me mm-hmm. because I'm sure you're going to find someone who was raped and didn't find it to be that traumatic, and you're going to find someone else who was called fat by their mother and did. Right. You know, it's like, it, it's a thing. I mean, I don't know that somebody that's raped didn't find it traumatic either. It's a thing. It's a th- It's one thing to the next. And like, where does addiction come from? I have no idea. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's definitely multifaceted. It, it's like a fucking Petri dish of shit. And like, you did, you know, I mean, for me, 
like I was never a big drinker, but I know that the first time I drank, I drank to blackout mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. time. And I never, and I really wasn't a big drinker, but that's odd. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't a, I, I, I didn't have a big drinking career. First time I drank, I probably drank 20 screwdrivers and almost died. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was my experience with gin. First time I ever put a bottle up to my lips, I drank half the bottle, but, uh, is that sort of self archeology span important? I, I, I don't know. I, I think I was sitting, you know, cause my addiction history went from not being able to drink because I didn't like the way alcohol affected me to falling in love with weed and, and signing up to be a stoner, like a hundred percent, like give me the clothes, Give me the records. You want the brand. Yeah. You want to give me the literature. There's your I, hacky sack and your frisbee. Yeah, I, 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 I wanted the identity so much be, because of that underlying not comfortable in my skin, not to mention weed hit my brain exactly the way I wanted mm. it to be hit. The music hit my ears the way I wanted it to be hit. The writing, the, the defiance, the immaturity, all mm. of those things were my perfect shit. And, and then it went from weed to psychedelics and then it went from weed and psychedelics to pills. And then it went from weed, psychedelics and pills to Coke and then to heroin. And then heroin really did for me what I wanted, which was to not care. And then, uh uh-oh, heroin is physically addictive. Mm -hmm. And and so, and and I'm making money and, and all of a sudden I'm full blown and then I'm full blown and I'm like, I'm making money. I'm like, I'm going to stick with this. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, when I would try to stop, it was too uncomfortable and it was too painful. And, and I just didn't want to stop. But that was you like 10 years ago. Someone was asking me about this. Like, don't you feel like you're a different person? Like, do you really believe like with all your heart that if you started smoking a joint every day, that you would descend into chaos and heroin addiction, even now after all the growth you've done, all the maturing, do you really feel like you would be that out of control? Is no. it important that you feel that it's way? Not, it's not even relevant to me if that's the outcome or not. The outcome for me is I couldn't do what I'm doing now if I smoked a joint every day. Mm. And if I smoked a joint every day, I would definitely... I wouldn't smoke a joint every day. I would be right. like, I'd smoke a joint and then be like, you know what I really like to do is take bong hits. And then I would, I, what I could do, like in my last iteration of using, I wasn't like waking up and smoking weed. I would go work. And when I got home from work, I would take three bong hits. Then I would go buy food and cook. And then I would take three more bong hits. And then I started dating some girl who sold pills. So like a couple <laughs> days a month, I yeah. would take pills. Yeah. And then I really liked how the Percocets hit. And I was like, mm. this kind of reminds me of heroin. I, I think I I could do heroin one more time <laughs> and, I, and I did it one more time. I didn't do it again. Yeah. I did it. I mean, last time I did heroin was probably 10 years ago. And I've also read that, you know, with, with cellular regeneration every seven years, you're kind of regenerating all your cells anyway. So am I the same person? Definitely not. Um, and, and I do have a major reservation for, for being a stoner again. Yeah, you always talk about that. You're going to sit on your porch. You're going to listen to the Allman Brothers. Yeah, and, sp- yeah. and I'm like, I want that for you in a certain sense. I'm like, I hope that Dave makes it to that porch at some point. You know, I want you to like, you know, and, and do it safely and be happy about it. But that's like a false goal, don't you know? Like, I mean, isn't the trick really to, want that? Isn't the trick to get to the point where that sort of fantasy holds no appeal to you anymore? I don't know. that's kind of where I'm you know, where I'm kind of landing. You like know, you don't romanticize I don't, having I don't a glass of Cabernet. I mean, and I, well, 
I mean, it was easy enough for me to not romanticize the crack days because the the, the evidence the of, consequence the evidence of what yeah. happens when you go down that road is so crystal clear. Yeah. Like a, you know, even a moron like me could could figure that out. But when it comes to like, oh, maybe I could have a glass of wine sit on the porch, something, yeah. or smoke, you know, do a couple bong rips or something, you know, I just uh, I don't I don't feel like that was some that's something I want to do anymore. Mm. I want no? I I don't want to do it now. Okay. You know, I don't want to do it now. And maybe it's like that one day at a time kind of thing mm-hmm. where you put enough one days at a time together and all of a sudden you're not doing it. Yeah. I want, I have the fantasy and, and also smoking cigarettes are in the fantasy mm. of, <laughs> Why be, not? of being old. I don't want to like, I don't have a fantasy of shooting heroin again. No. And I don't have a fantasy of eating anti-anxiety medication because that shit is just so debilitating and it's so habitual and crazy. But smoking pot it's just, and I'm not, I don't crave weed. I just right. crave to be an old man with a porch and a rocking chair and a, a record player yeah. and, and sitting there and, and, and smoking weed. And it's like, it's also like a joke. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, I don't know, like I'm 48 years old. I don't want to do it today. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do it until I'm not working. I don't want to do it with children. Mm. Like I want to do it when I'm old and then maybe not even like it. But I don't know why that's still a thing. I, I'm coming up on uh, eight years sober this year. Awesome. And I'm thrilled. You know what I mean? Yeah, like my yeah. life is, I, I have the whole thing. You know what I mean? I have a loving family. I've got a nice house. I, I love my work for the most part. I, I'm a happy person and I owe it all to not using. But I still have a little bit of a fantasy about being an old stoner. Right. But doesn't Dopey, I've heard you say on the show, and I've definitely taken exception to this comment, where you always will say, Dopey is not how I stay sober. It's not how I get sober. But I'm always thinking, like, how could you possibly say that Dopey doesn't help you stay sober? Like, it's that you don't want to give it that power over your sobriety? Or do you really believe that doing the show doesn't help keep you sober? I don't think I say it doesn't help. I think it doesn't keep me sober. I think, of course, it helped. Like there's other things, but well, the show I mean, is it, just supporting. It's also like, I say a lot of stuff that might not be true. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I say that I don't think Dopey helps people. I say that Dopey doesn't keep me sober. I mean, this is the fact. I got sober in 2015 in August. We started making Dopey in October of 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've, I've been sober making Dopey for 98% of my recovery. I, I'm sure it didn't hurt. You know what I mean? Like, and and I talk about recovery. I think I would talk about, put it like this, right? I I have a group of friends that I do 12 step with and they don't know anything about dopey. I don't talk to them about dopey Hmm. at all, but I talk to them about recovery every day. And it has nothing to do with dopey. It's just recovery talk. So it's like, I don't talk dope. Nobody at my meeting knows what dopey is. It's say, not like, a thing. I'm not like a celebrity at the meeting. You don't kind of stroll in and no, uh, you know. I just wear cats and stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hand out stickers. And no, stuff. I don't. I don't do, I don't do any of it. Um, I always think that I'm going to go to an AA meeting and people are like, Oh, yeah, let's stay from well, It's like 20 more <laughs> downloads, right? You know, you're not thinking like you're talking to everybody. It's like 20 downloads right here, but I don't want to do that. I don't yeah. want to self promote in that, that kind of way. Although you want to hear the greatest story in the history of the show. Yes, please. Of course. Maybe top 10, <laughs> a top 10 story. Every meeting I go to, I, I pretend that I'm, Mark Marin or, you know, famous person at the meeting and everyone's like, and, 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 you know, they're, of course, if they're in recovery, they're fans of the show, which is totally not true. Like I've, <laughs> I've rarely encountered, I've, I don't think I've met one person 
randomly that knew what the show was. I don't think one time. Really? I don't think it's ever happened. Huh. Um, so, except this one time I'm at a meeting uh, in, uh, in Manhattan at NYU. It's like a noon meeting. It was NYU University, but they is now you understand was the eh, okay. okay. I like it, and I'm I'm in there and and I'm sharing. You know, it's an AA meeting. And I shouldn't you know I shouldn't disclose that I'm a member of AA because that breaks <laughs> tradition. Let's call it a twelve step yeah, meeting. Twelve step. Uh-huh. And uh, so I share right, and I'm leaving, and I share about like my life. I think I shared about just having moved, and maybe I shared about maybe I shared about Chris dying. Like mm. it was it was it was right around then. And I'm leaving, and the secretary of the meeting is this young woman uh, who's attractive. And she goes, are you Dave? And I went, yeah. And then she points to her leg, and she has the dopey tattoo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, it was, and we paid, but, wow. we, but we had paid for her tattoo. Wow. So it was just one of those kind of, her name is Hannah. Wow. And, and she, she actually played Good So Bad on the street in Bleecker Street and put it on YouTube. And like, oh, cool. You know, she was like this major dopey fan and she was the secretary of that meeting. So that was fucking crazy. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah. The, the whole idea of having a dopey tattoo, yeah. like that must totally fuck with your head. Like, is it the ultimate compliment? Oh, it's the, it's the great, I mean, I don't have any tattoos, so I feel kind of like a hypocrite, but it's my, <laughs> my favorite. There's somebody out there who has, I want to be good so bad tattooed across their wrists. It's amazing. That's like my favorite. Yeah, it's awesome. And somebody has forever and dead on their arm. There's a lot of dopey tattoos it's out there. It's pretty cool, It's man. wild. It's crazy. Yeah, our um, audience doesn't get tattoos, I don't think. We've got mostly uh, you're 40 to 60 somethings. Dopey is far and wide. I mean, I was at a, a business meeting in Savannah, Georgia this past spring, and the first thing I saw, I go out for a run when I get into town, is a dopey sticker on a light post. That's yeah. crazy. See, I don't yeah. even get to see that. I don't see that. I, sa- I, sa- I tweeted it at you. Yeah, I love okay. it. I, I mean, that's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, it's like, well- I wanted, I always, I was, me, I mean, I, I wasn't as accomplished a musician as Nat, but I, I played in bands and stuff. And all I wanted to be was in a famous band, and mm-hmm. and, and and Dopey is my band now. Yeah, yeah, I love that when you said that, like the idea that this is your band, like the way that we used to think of bands. It's like perfect. Well, it's like it's like the guy who owns Katz's, right? Like uh, I wear a fucking, I mostly wear a Katz's shirt every day, right? Um, and I'm standing with him on the corner, and uh, and some guy walks past with a Wilco shirt on. And I was like, dude, I was like, I was like, what do you think? And I was like, is your band bigger than his? Because so many people wear cats as clothes. And uh, and he laughed because he doesn't care about having a band. I care about having a band. Right. You know, and, um, you know, it's it's my, and, and I'm like a fame whore. Like, I want Dopey to be a big famous show. I want it to somehow be more mainstream. I want it to be Marin for recovery or Joe Rogan or something. And I don't know how to get there. Yeah. yeah. That's something we talk about all the time. Like how do for dopey, like how do we get past this niche? <clears throat> you know, how do we, how do we get, you know, bigger, broader appeal? And I don't know if you can, I, don't I think know. to some yeah. degree you're, you're, you're hemmed in a little bit by the, the topic, by your subject matter. Right. For sure. I mean, it's just, but I mean, but it's big. There's a lot of people who are in recovery or are struggling, you know? Yeah. And it's getting bigger and bigger as people talk about it, as celebrities get sober, it's like sober's the new black, you know? So the audience is just going to grow. That's an Instagram page. Sober's, sober's the new. Oh, it is. I resent them too. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How did you get into the Grateful Dead? Just to switch gears. Since uh, I'm, I'm the biggest deadhead in, in the world. It's pretty big. And I, uh, I'm, I know. Fire know I, I love the, I love the, uh, the, the dopey focus on the dead. Sometimes I was, I was, 
See, from from my perspective, you put Steve Parrish in the uh, in the Patreon. I'm like, that should have been a main. I think we released it. Did you? I think we okay. put it as a bonus. He was a dick. Oh, was he? Yeah. Well, he, I mean, that's he has the he had that reputation back in the he, day. He treated me like an asshole. Did he really? I mean, you didn't think so in the uh, interview? Yeah, he was. But I think that's kind of the way he is. Yeah, he was not know. warm. That yeah. was just on Patreon, right? Did you? No, I think it? I think I put yeah. it out. That was a good. Yeah. This is the thing. I think Big Steve Parrish, just to be clear, if you want to talk about it, mm-hmm. like I think he, because he smokes weed, I think he feels defensive oh, yeah. about the idea of sobriety about a pothead who doesn't smoke weed. I think that fucks him up. Huh. So I think he approached me prickly because I'm a pothead who doesn't smoke weed. Well, he sells weed. I mean, he has like a, he has a brand. You know? <laughs> and I wish I was smoking weed with Big Steve Parrish. It just didn't work out for me in the way that it, it I wanted it to. Yeah. In terms of the dead, like, you know, I was not into the Grateful Dead. I mean, and this is funny because like, I I, tra- I I don't know about you guys. I, I trace a lot of my thinking to my 17-year-old self. Mm-hmm. Same. And, and my 17-year-old self was not interested in the Grateful Dead. Oh, um, uh, I grew up in Manhattan. I It's so funny because I didn't know that I was such a nerd that I actually was. Like, I was in a ska band. I played harmonica in a ska band without knowing how nerdy <laughs> the whole thing actually was. And I thought it was cool. Like That's I, badass, man, playing harmonica in a ska band. I thought it was really I cool. I must be a nerd, too. <laughs> I, was, I was interested in hip-hop music, and I wasn't interested in suburban Grateful Dead. I wasn't interested in alternative music, and I and I, I regret this. This is stuff that I regret. I, I wasn't interested in James Addiction and Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins, and, and and I wasn't interested in the Grateful Dead. I was interested in the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the phenomenon of the 60s. And then mm. my friend Devin went to a dead show, and I was like, you're such a fucking poser <laughs> going to a dead show. And he was like, I don't know. He's like, it was pretty crazy. And I was like, okay. I was like, okay. And I was, I was 17. I was like, let's go. And, and me and Devin, I hadn't smoked pot. I had just blackout drank one time. And I was like, let's go. And me and Devin went to see the Grateful Dead in 1991 at Madison Square Garden. Wow. And, uh, and everyone's talking about LSD. Like, I just hear everyone, LSD, you know, acid doses. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I was like, I was like, let's get let's get LSD. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't even believe that I had that thought. Because, I, mean, I, didn't, I mean, like fast yeah. forward on this horrible drug addict <laughs> recovery podcast. But at the time I wasn't like that. And I, and he was like, okay. And we bought a couple white blotters off some fucking hippie <laughs> and we tripped out and we wandered around. I don't think I even noticed the grateful death plan. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, had a few of those shows. I uh, kept saying to Devin, we're in the festival. It's the festival. And then I kind of like, didn't revisit and I'm giving you the long story because mm-hmm. I, I, I like talking about the Grateful Dead and then I would hang out at my friend's house and he would listen to Skeletons in the Closet mm-hmm. and there was a version of uh, Turn On Your Love Light on there and we would play NBA jams mm-hmm. and I found out I found when he would play Turn On Your Love Light and I played NBA jams and Jerry would go off in the solo sections of that song I would fucking be unstoppable <laughs> I'm on fire <laughs> yeah, yeah and yeah, NBA yeah. jams I, I would steal the ball every time he came up I was like you know and Jerry fucking went nuts in yeah. that song yeah, yeah. and then I would hear like the harmonies on uh, Uncle John's band or Broke Down Palace and I was like hmm and then Two From the Vault came out mm-hmm. pretty close after that and I, the packaging 
so beautiful mm. on two from the vault. It was one of those old CDs that was a big paper CD. It's when when you have stoners make putting all that stuff together, it really appeals to other stoners. Yeah, the they whole, make it on the purpose. Whole clue, the yeah. whole trick, rather. Yeah. The dead shows are like drug addict. Di- like I've never been to a Grateful Dead show. When I was sixteen and seventeen, I was into Nine Inch Nails. I was into like the Prodigy, electronic, all that stuff, and I loved Acid. But I didn't know that there was... I knew about the Grateful Dead because there was Deadheads, but I was kind of scoffed at it. And But now, like, I kind of wish like that I was into it because it sounds like drug addict Disneyland. Well, know? it was. I mean, I, I started going to shows in, go. in 1985 before the Touch of Grey thing hit. And so back then it was still considered really subversive and, and counterculture-y yeah. to, to be into that. And then when 87 came and all the frat boys rushed in, all of a sudden, like... People thought of it as like just a, bu- a bunch of white guys from Connecticut. Yeah, you know, the, the, those are the people who go to hats. see the yep. see the dead. But uh, I, just, I I liked the drugs. I, I enjoyed them very much. But I you know the music isn't bad. The either. Music is is fantastic. I've I mean, been trying I, to catch up. You know because you've been you always I talk keep trying, about the dead. Man. So you know I've been trying. But uh, I, I really enjoyed your interview with uh, Mountain Girl. That was uh, that was that was awesome. Me I mean, too. How I, did you? Did you just reach out to her and she was like, no. sure, let's, let's do no. it. I, I fell in love with, with Jerry Garcia, you know, like mm-hmm. from two from the vault, I fell in love with Jerry Garcia. And then I just dived in, dove in and, and, uh, and I was so interested in, in, in the culture around the dead. I just had such an issue with Bob Weir that I couldn't be <laughs> all in. I was just so <laughs> invested with, with Jerry mm. and, uh, I was also just the story of the Merry Pranksters, mm-hmm. the story of Ken Kesey, the story of the connection between, uh, you know, Neil Cassidy and Jack Kerouac and right. Allen Ginsberg and, and how that goes into the Grateful Dead. I was so interested yeah, in that story. Cool. It's an incredible mythology. Yeah, really I was is. just so yeah. invested in that. I remember reading the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test and seeing Jerry Garcia show up and I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think that really pushed the Grateful Dead boulder up the hill a bit mm-hmm. for me. But... uh there's this guy. Basically, it happened through Ryan Leone roundabout. Oh, Ryan Leone. Sad story. Yeah, horrible story. He's Jesus. a horrible drug addict. Uh, did a bunch of time in jail. Wrote a novel in jail. Wasting talent or wasted talent. Wasting Great talent. Book. Yeah, it's a wild book. Yeah, I like. And that. and he was friends with another writer named Seth Ferranti. Seth Ferranti uh, got busted with I think twenty thousand hits you know, on dead tour. Yeah. And he came on dopey. Yeah, that's right. To, it was like an outlaw episode of dopey. He's not in recovery, but he is friends with mountain girl ah, and mountain okay. girl is writing a memoir and somehow Ferranti is connected. And I, and, and he connected me to them. Oh, cool. And I, and they were on the fence and I sent them a box of cats and they agreed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing uh, works like pastrami. I know. Yeah. I was, tr- I was trying to claw my way into that scene to get a grab somebody like uh, bigger through you got rich Jesse, ma- ma- Jesse Jesse Jarno yeah I was is no he idea. sober no I mean he's Mr Psychedelia the the I wanted to talk to him about his book which was uh, called Heads which he you know always plugs on the Grateful Dead podcast like oh if you want to hear more about this kind of thing check out my audiobook Heads so I listened to it and it was basically you'd probably love it it's a it's a history of psychedelics in America from mm-hmm. the late fifties all the way through to the present day, um, all about how the, uh, the the Brotherhood of Eternal Light and and the acid distribution across the country and the dead right, and right, fish right. and everything, and uh, no no recovery angle, but I just wanted to talk to him, so I so I sent him an email and it was kind of like telling him what we were about, and he was really into coming on, and then I didn't ask him a single question about recovery, I just wanted to talk to him about acid. <laughs> 
<laughs> like an hour and a half. I get done with it, and he's like, you really didn't ask me much about recovery. So we went back and recorded a bit about the Warf Rats, and then I just kind of spliced that in later. The but he's rats. not sober. I don't think so. Jesse. No. And I think, no. uh, you know, I've messaged him. He doesn't write me back. Mm. Uh, and I think that, uh, so kudos to you. Uh, I <laughs> think you. Uh, the good old Grateful Dead cast, you know, might be the greatest podcast ever made. I agree, hundred uh, percent. That, but it's but it's the dipping. storytelling. Is you know, amazing. you know when I lost it when he put out the fucking fiftieth anniversary of Ace, followed by another yeah. Bob Weir show. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. I can't. I just can't. Bobby's an incredible rhythm guitar player. I mean, you ever listen to some of his isolated stuff? It's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's just like my favorite shit that Mountain Girl wanted to jump on. I don't know if you noticed when, when Jerry and Phil wanted to kick Bobby out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think Marin Girl got really interested in talking about that. Yeah. I also yeah, just yeah. think she's kind of like been, she's so pushed out. And she, that, right. you know, she was a merry prankster. She was a seminal member of that community yeah. and she was not in the Grateful Dead, and I think that fucked her up, you know? I think it did, and I think uh, the treatment at the hands of Debbie uh, Coons. The whole uh, thing. You know. They sell, they're selling, I mean, I, 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 I hate to be in the know. I hate to be in, You guys it, know a lot about the Grateful Dead. Can I just say I'm that? So, yeah. I'm sorry. It's amazing. Well, it sounds very interesting. <laughs> they, I just saw a thing on Facebook, like, yeah. they're, now they're selling Grateful Dead clothes at Walmart made of in course. China. Yeah. And yeah. it's like... It's just one of those. It's just like what the do Grateful you, Dead has been like that since I remember. Though I was always like, oh, they're just a big brand, you know. But mm. I want Dopey to be like Chinese made, fucking brand. sold in Walmart. <laughs> it's gonna sure. happen. That's what I want. But you're you're taking a different route, though. You're you're starting this. I wanted you to talk a little bit before you go, because um, what time is it? I wanted you to talk about your um, the nonprofit. It's kind of a big deal, and I feel like you haven't really been pushing it. That's because I'm not. Like, I haven't developed it yet. What's happening with that? Nothing. I think it's a great <laughs> idea. Nothing's happening. Well, no. What's happened? The only thing that's happening is I just got a bunch of Narcan and fentanyl test strips that I'm sending out to people who want it. That's good. That's great. That's a start. It's hard. You know, the Dopey Foundation is a dream. I don't really know what to put in place to make it effective. The vision is to is basically because Dopey is this very unpretentious place where addicts connect and, and some get to help right. each other and alcoholics too, and they get to help each other. I want the Dopey Foundation. I don't want Dopey to have to do heavy lifting in terms of helping people. I want Dopey to be free to be Because it's dopey. what it does just as it is. It helps people just by existing. But I just want it to be unencumbered to not have to serve the purpose of helping. I want... But then, because everyone's like, oh, you, your show helps so many people. And I'm like, eh, no, really. <laughs> I, I want to act... If we have I, the opportunity... I to, mean, I think it does. It has uh, to. Whether you want to admit it or not. I mean, we... How could it not? Yeah. How could it not help you? We have the opportunity to set up a foundation that helps people specifically. And, like, the way we do it is trying to find... Trying to emulate a lot, a lot of what the dopey nation does and put people together. I want to set up grief counseling for people who have lost people. Mm. I want to send more people to treatment, but we, we sent probably been doing that since I forever. know, but the thing about sending people to treatment is addicts are fucking addicts yeah, and they, they relapse. They bounce out of treatment yeah. and die. And it's like, it's just such a fucking horror show yeah. to, to be a part of. It's hard. Yeah. I mean like, okay. Send them to Oro. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Equine therapy. That's I a heard. whole. That's a whole thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, 
we interviewed Evan Haynes. Amazing. Oh, thank you. He's amazing brilliant. Guy. He's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. That book is, that he wrote, uh, Can America Recover? Very I actually dense. read the whole thing. It's very yeah. Yeah. It took me like months. Yeah. <laughs> I read through the book. <laughs> he's, he's very smart. Yeah. He's a very yeah. smart guy. He is. Um, but uh, so this week, right, we, we get a, I get a, there's this couple, right? These, these fucking addicts. God bless them. Mm-hmm. Courtney and Sean. Okay, Courtney's been listening to Dopey like since we started, but she's kind of on the periphery. I don't know who Sean is. And Sean's using fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And Courtney is relapsing on something. And, and, and Courtney is like, Dave, I need to talk to you on the phone. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, Dave, I need to tell you some stories. And I'm like, well, send in a voicemail. Mm-hmm. And she sent in this crazy, scary voicemail that was 30 seconds. That was like, I got high and then I got raped. Is that the voicemail you want to hear, Dave? Ooh. Yikes. And I'm like, no. I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm like, you're scaring me. <laughs> That's what I wrote. I was like, these voicemails are scaring me. <laughs> and then, and then she, and then. And I, and I keep pushing her off and pushing her off. And I'm like, I don't want to, I'm like, I don't want to deal with this, I, mm. you know? And then on Sat- Sunday morning, I get a, a message that Sean is dead, Ugh. that he overdosed. And, uh, and, and she's hysterical crying and, 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 and driving behind the ambulance, but the lights aren't turned on. And that's how she knows he's dead that he, she did CPR on Sean and she heard the death rattle. And I was like, Courtney, did you hang out in the hospital and actually Jeez. hear that he's dead? And she said, no. And I was like, hang out at the hospital and actually hear he's dead before you've decided that he's dead. She's like, he's dead. He's dead. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I go to my meeting and I share about how lucky we are to be alive. And, and when I get home, I get the message that Sean didn't die. Uh, and then fine. I got and then I got a voicemail from Sean uh, <laughs> th- that I haven't been able to listen to yet. But it's 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 heavy duty, yeah. You know, and um and it's hard, you know. And I want the Dopey Foundation to be effective, but the fact of the matter is, as we know. I, I don't think there is an effective way to treat addiction. No, no. We talk about this all the time. We're trying to get, I call it the unified field theory of recovery. I don't know that there's such a thing. I mean, we can't really even define, if you can't define what it is, how can you define? How can you make it happen? You can't right. because it, it, cause it requires all sorts of things. But the thing that it requires in you or in me is that we're ready and I wasn't yeah. ready until I got sober. I was not ready at all. There was nothing you could have done, I don't think. No. Be- yeah. Before I was ready. Yeah. So you have to be ready. But then the treatment after that is I, I kind of look at it like gene therapy for cancer, you know, a little different for each person depending on the circumstance. I don't think there's a one size fits all. Which there makes it extremely isn't. difficult to treat, though. You know, like how do you, like you can't treat like a, uh, a stay-at-home mom who drinks two glasses of wine a day and it's sort of wrecking her marriage, and you treat her next to the, Sean the fentanyl. Uh, yeah. Like, how do you put the same program on the two of them? It's you not can't. gonna work. But I think that the, the 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 ultimate thing is you leave the door open for everybody and you res- give everybody respect and as much love as you can. Yeah, absolutely, and, and show them that. I mean, the thing about drugs and alcohol is it's very rare that you can have sustained happiness, joy, optimism, and a good life while participating in them. Yes, I would argue it's impossible. Right. So, like, if you can offer somebody who's in that mire something better where they see that it worked for you, that's the best we can do. Yeah, and nobody's trauma is more valid than the next person's. My trauma is less valid than the next person. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, well, is that a, a good place to end it? I think it might be. Did you want to um, thank you for coming on the show, Dave? Yeah. So I hope I didn't lose Action Bronson and my job but it was, <laughs> and my car, but it was worth it. Well, Action Bronson's not coming on dope. I guess he's not an addict. I, it's, it's interesting. Action Bronson wants to do an event with Katz's. Uh, and then I, it was funny cause I met with him with a friend of mine who did the last Jewish waiter with me right. and he, and he starts talking to action Bronson about dopey. I'm like, shh. <laughs> and action Bronson goes, you really shouldn't have brought that up at the first meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I was um, like, I wasn't going to, it's, it's Ivan. <laughs> I'm sure he'll call back. He's got the, the pastrami waiting for him. I'm sure he'll call back. He we'll likes see. Pastrami. We'll see. All right. Thanks Dave. Dave, I hope you make it back home. Okay. And, um, coming out. Thank you. Yeah.